Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to episode 22. As always, you can find all information about the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. There you will find streaming information as well as social media information. Uh, today on the, on the podcast, we have a guest who's been in well over 22 bands, um, but I think we're going to probably try to jam it down to like 10 or 15. We'll see uh, how it goes with this. But uh, I'm talking about Jay Galvin from Buffalo. Uh, so with that being said, uh, how you doing tonight, Jay? I'm doing good. How are you, man? Pretty good. Can't complain. Um, I know you and I kind of had talked about doing this a few weeks ago, but uh, sometimes life gets in the way, and as I mentioned to you, we've and I'm sure you've noticed, we've kind of had a lot going on in Rochester the last few weeks. Um, oh, just a little. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, as I've talked to a few other guests, and you and I will definitely talk about, I kind of feel like, you know, us being people from, like, hardcore and punk, um, sometimes it's kind of our duty to, to, to step aside from all this kind of stuff and, and get on the front lines. Um, that's kind of what I've been doing the last few weeks. Um, excellent. You know, so we'll talk more about that, I guess, when we get into current events and stuff. Um, but for now, let's kind of take a step back. Um, sure. You're somebody who's got, like, you know, not to date you, I guess, but you're somebody who's got, like, over 30 years experience in hardcore and punk. Um, so I guess let's take it back to, like, 1985 when you kind of first got into all this stuff and uh, just kind of let me know, like, you know, what got you into this and what kind of made you, like, a lifer at that point, I guess. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I started... You know, I was definitely a young music fan in general, and uh, when I was a kid in the, the early to mid '80s, um, the metal was kind of the big thing on the radio. You know, Motley Crue and Rat and Iron Maiden and all that stuff. And as a young aspiring dirtbag, that's kind of what I started off on. Cause that's what I heard on the radio, and uh, through uh, through through buying the magazines and 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 being involved with that kind of more mainstream metal i i uh i i accidentally stumbled onto uh an sst records ad for for uh black flag and uh i didn't really know how different that was from what i was into but uh i happened to uh, be out with my dad on a weekend visit and i saw black flag tape and i I uh, talked him into buying it for me, and uh, and that kind of it blew my mind. Uh, and I, I still didn't really know what punk rock or hardcore was, but I knew I liked I liked that, and uh, that was kind of the first the first key to the first level of opening up all the doors was uh, was was getting turned on to Black Flag, and you know the Black Flag bars are such a recognizable logo that as soon as I saw other people, you know, I remember early on, I saw a kid at my Sunday school who had the black flag bar scribbled on his shoes. And he also had, you know, a little DK logo, which I didn't know what that was and an anarchy sign. And I started asking him what all the other stuff was. And then, you know, that was another piece of the puzzle. And it started going from there. And uh, I went from, from, from just being a little metalhead to next thing I know it, I was I was a full-on punk rocker. Uh, I, 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 everything I found, I loved. Um, I loved the the rawness of it and the how 
you know, unpolished it was compared to all that stuff that, that I was listening to beforehand, you know, um, everything sounded like it was recorded in a small room and not like with the big cavernous drums and, and, you know, big sounding stuff. And I, I just, for whatever reason, I've always been drawn to, to real lo-fi stuff like that. And, uh, and, and yeah, so that was the beginning of it. So, um, that was probably like 1985 that all that started. I went to my first concert with Rat to tell you about the, the metal aspect. That was my first show. But shortly after that, when I when I found that that Black Flag tape, that's kind of when it, I started getting into that world. You know, shortly after that, um, I had a friend who had an older sister who used to take us to see local bands. They, it wasn't hardcore shows. Um, they were they were more like indie rock slash college rock or what you'd want to call it that's what she was into she would take us and and uh you know drag us along to these cool shows and 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 then once you're going to those shows then you might see a flyer for something that's a little more wild or whatever um you know we we saw the goo dolls a few times and they you know they played punk and hardcore shows but they kind of also had their toe you know, in with these bands that we saw. So we saw the Goo Goo Dolls, you know, early on. And then through that, I think that's, that's kind of, you know, the beginning of it. Um, when I, when I started that same kid that his sister brought us to the shows, he, he kept bugging me that I had, I should get a guitar so we should start a band. So I finally was able to track down a guitar and we literally started a band. Like the second I got my guitar, he was like, okay, we're a band now. And we started this band and uh, it was pretty terrible. <laughs> it was called uh, No Names and it was, it was really bad. It was, it was rudimentary, even uh, below punk in its rudimentariness. <laughs> and, uh, but that, that really got the ball rolling with meeting other people who, who played in bands. We, uh, we, my, I, I got my brother to play drums. He had never played, he played drums like in the third grade, you know, snare drum or whatever. So we said, Oh, you played the drums once you're playing drums in our band that no one knows what they're doing. In. And somehow we talked him into doing it. And we started this band and we were super terrible, but we, why it helped us out a lot was we had, we had signed up for a battle of the bands at the youth center in our neighborhood and uh we made flyers for it we were so excited that we had this show and uh we were out flyering for it at um at like a like a, a fair and we saw one of the other bands that was going to be on the battle of the bands and they were called manic depression and they were like a, a, a really great punk band. And when we met them, and they were super nice to us. I mean, we were super terrible, but they did not treat us like we were the clowns that we were. Like they were really cool guys. And, and that really made us go, oh, wait, like we can, I want to do, I want to be like that. I want to play like they're, like they're, they have distortion and that guy's screaming. And they sound so angry. You know, they were uh, they were a really cool band. They kind of had like a, a UK 82 exploited kind of vibe. They had like big 
mohawks and stuff, but their sound wasn't like that. They were much more of a, of a hardcore band. But once we met them and saw them play, that's kind of when, when it really clicked for us, like, oh, that's the direction we want to go. Like playing, you know, heavier and, and screaming and crazy like that. Um, you know, so then we would start to go see them play live and then, you know, and then that's kind of how we ended up going to see, you know, real shows. Um, I remember in, uh, the first like national kind of punk show that, that we went to, uh, was in, uh, 1987, we saw the dead milkmen at Buff State with the Goo Goo Dolls opening. And then that was really mind blowing to us because there was several hundred kids at that show. And, uh, and then it was really like, Oh wow, this is, this is like a real thing. Um, and then because we went to that show, the dead milkmen actually had come back later that year. That was like in July and they ended up coming back like in September and they played at a, a smaller place that was called the river rock cafe. River Rock ended up doing all these amazing shows, but at the time, that that was one of the first shows they did there of that kind. Um, but we went there because we, oh, Dead Milk Man, yeah, let's go see them again. And then, you know, that that was really the beginning of the end. Once we got turned out of the River Rock, and you know, they had a calendar that would have all the shows written for the month on it, and we would grab one of those and we would just try and get to to everyone we could, you know, um, whether it was a punk band or a metal band or a you know, well, I guess that was pretty much what we were doing, punk and metal bands, but, you know, if it was, you know, thrashy or, or melodic or whatever, we just, you know, we just loved seeing bands, you know, um, but that's really kind of what it all tied together, you know, we, we kind of started getting into that music and playing that music at the same time, you know, so that was the start of it, for sure. And I think most people listening to this uh, are familiar with your brother Scott from some of his other bands, which will uh, obviously one of one of them you were in that we'll get to in a second. Um, and like myself, a lot of them probably don't picture him as a drummer. Um, and one thing that you put in the notes that was kind of interesting is how you kind of guys kind of acquired some of those drums. And um, <laughs> I don't think you've told that part of the story yet, though. Is there is there anything you want to delve into on that? Oh, when 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 we when we talked my brother Scott into playing drums for us, um, he didn't have any drums. Nor, I think earlier that day, did he have any clue that he'd be playing drums in a band. You know, we just were like, you know, you're in. And he went with it for whatever reason. So, you know, we, what we started to do was, uh, we started to steal him a drum set uh, from, from the schools in our area. Um, we went out and we went to the we we lived right near the high school that we went to and we just went to the band room we took a, a ride cymbal and a ride stand and a crash and a crash stand and they they were actually really nice they were nice zildjians with a nice patina on them really heavy <laughs> duty cymbals you know and then we went to another school and we grabbed a snare drum and the funny thing is is you know there's not a lot of drum sets in schools, you know, there's a lot of kids, you know, standing in front of a snare drum and, and playing like marching band stuff. So 
so we ended up stealing him three different snares and we just took all the snares and, and the whole bottoms off of two of them and kind of made them into a tom and a floor tom. So he had the kind of this triangle of snares and a couple uh, couple of symbols uh, and I think a hi-hat, no bass drum. And uh, and that's how he started out. But yeah, we, we pretty much lifted, lifted that initial kit from the various <laughs> schools in our neighborhood uh, little by little. Um, just being the delinquents that we were, but you know it was all for a good cause. Yeah, and obviously statute of limitations and whatnot has long since passed on that, <laughs> so uh, I don't think we need to worry about that. Um, no, I think we're in the clear. Yeah, I guess the moral. Thank you to yeah. the to the music department for supplying <laughs> us with with that uh, with that equipment. It helped us out greatly, and uh, we we are will forever be grateful that we weren't caught. So before we dive into Slugfest, I think you had one other band that you had, had done before that that kind of got you a little more experience before you started doing Slugfest. Well, yeah, when when we met those Manic Depression guys, um, we immediately were, you know, we wanted to start a hardcore band. So um, it, it wasn't a New York hardcore band. It was more like a, you know maybe like early 80s style kind of looser hardcore band um we called ourselves lost cause and we were in a lot of ways just emulating manic depression but it was important for us because it got us into the idea of like i mean the band that we had before that we we didn't even use like just i didn't even know what distortion was i mean i knew it when i heard it but when i got a guitar you know, I didn't know like, oh, now you have to get a distortion pedal and not, and now you have to. So, you know, when we started Lost Cause, that was that was the beginning of us. Like, fig, you know, we figured out that Scott had to have a bass drum and an actual floor tom. And you know <laughs> what I mean? And that, that was like where we really started to kind of learn. And, and even though we didn't do a lot with that band, that was the band that we actually started. Like we played two shows at the river rock and they weren't like crazy huge shows but they you know they were for a couple i think we were 14 years old you know it was pretty cool to you know pack up our stuff and drive down into the city and set up and play in front of a few mohawks and uh and do our thing but that was as far as um getting us going that was that was an important um transition you know even though we didn't you know, do a whole heck of a lot, but you know, what are you going to do when you're, you're 14 years old? Uh, you're not exactly going to conquer the world with your, with your, you know, hardcore band, but it, it definitely got the ball rolling for us. And, and it, we, we met a lot of people through that, you know, that's like when at the shows we started talking to more people instead of just kind of standing timidly in the corner, you know? And uh, so that, that was definitely like a turning point. And, and when that, band kind of dissolved over the normal stuff that happens with kids you know arguing about this and that or one doesn't want to do it anymore or someone moves away or whatever that was the beginning of slugfest because um scott and i just decided yeah we're like we want to keep doing this and we want to be have you know at that point we, we had started listening to like all the revelation records bands and, and you know and all the new york stuff and and we kind of wanted to move towards that and and I had been playing bass. I wanted to play guitar, and he had been playing drums. And he thought that you know he could sing. You know he wanted to give that a chance. 
so uh so we so we wrote some songs like that um and then um I, i'm not exactly sure how it's funny i listened to to scott's episode with you and uh you know it's, i'm gonna say the same thing he did even though he always says i have a better memory but i don't remember exactly how we got john to play with us the drummer um he he ran the river rock he did the sound he you know he basically ran it his father owned it and then just kind of let him run the whole show and he just knew us from being these little rugrats that hung out at every all ages show that we could get to and i don't know how we talked him into it but next thing i know he's like yeah i'll, I'll be the drummer in your band and uh it was pretty crazy i mean he was so when we started slugfest i was 15 and John was 27, uh, um, which it's funny now because there's a bigger gap between me and, and a couple of the guys in my band now than that. But at the time, to me, that seemed like a million years, you know. He seemed like a man. You know, 27 seemed manly. <laughs> but, but, you know, again, I'm thankful that, that, you know, he taught us a lot of stuff. You know, he knew, you know, he had played you know, not huge shows or anything. It wasn't like he was a touring musician, but, you know, he had played in enough bands where he taught us about amps and, you know, and, and how to be on stage and even how to, he made our, help make our songs a little better. You know, we had some decent riffs and we came in and he kind of showed us what to do. So, so we learned a lot from him. Again, I don't know what possessed him to, to say like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll play in a band with you children. But, um, but I'm glad that he did because because uh, that was super cool you know um, we uh, because he owned the bar I remember when we were finally ready to play a show um, you know other you know like how it is now other promoters would kind of book through the club you know and and there was a guy and he was bringing in judge and John said to the guy all right cool yeah you can book that show my band's gonna you know we're gonna jump on and, and open it up and the promoter was like, nah, I don't think so. And John was like, well, I, I don't know if we're going to have that night available then. And of course, so then the promoter said, well, what time do you go on? You know, so we kind of squeaked our way onto a pretty cool show. And our first show was opening for Judge. And it was pretty excellent. It was a really, it was, I mean, we all love Judge. So it was, it was pretty, pretty amazing to be able to do that. And then that kind of got us up and running. We're going to take a short break to listen to a Slugfest song. The song's called Chickadoo's Flight.
so yeah, that was that was kind of how Slugfest got going out of the, the ashes of the Lost Cause. Um, and I just want to say first, um, obviously, don't feel bad not remembering things from 30 years or more ago. Um, <laughs> I always myself feel kind of bad because I'm interviewing people and expecting them to kind of remember all these little details. And like you and I were talking about before the interview, sometimes it might make better sense for me to send people like. Uh, the notes and stuff a couple weeks before so they can kind of jog their memory a little bit because like some of the stuff yeah, you, yeah. you probably haven't thought about half the stuff in 30 years you know so yeah, yeah um yeah. and I'm another doing my best though another thing that i always think is interesting is is there's like a you, you were speaking of revelation records there's a, a podcast that a couple people i i know from back in the day started recently about like old revelation records uh they're going through like the whole discography and they'll be interviewing bands that were on Revelation Records. And like you mentioned when you started Slugfest that you and Scott were really young. It's just crazy to think about some of these bands that became like influential. Like I'm sure you don't you don't think all the time about Slugfest, but like people now like you know remember Slugfest and like you guys were kinda of like influential for Buffalo. But like you guys were young when you started that band, you know, and it's just crazy to think about oh, yeah. like teenagers like making like influential hardcore and like like half the early Revelation Records releases were like by people who were When I look at um most of the records that we were so into at that time and i look at uh, people look so old to me on those records and i see children now and it's crazy you know um that you know there, uh, there's there's one in particular a picture in my head of of turning point that just like you know when that picture was taken those dudes were older than me and they looked older to me than you know to me and when i look at it now i go oh my god those are like those are kids those are you know young kids and it's it's it, it cracks me up you know just the, the difference in perspective you know um you know you see a picture of stigma from back in the day and he's like absolutely baby faced compared to what you know you look at a picture of him now but like to me he looked like that back then because he was you know a man you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a trip, man. Time is crazy like that. Um, yeah. yeah. Everyone was so young. I mean, all those, those rev bands coming through, they were only, a, a, you know, all those dudes were less than 10 years older than us. I think, you know, probably like, like probably five to 10 years older than us. A lot of them, you know, which, you know, isn't really that much, you know, especially the older you get, you know, the older you get five years becomes, nothing you know but uh yeah it's pretty wild how what, what the youth can get done so um while you guys were, were in slugfest you were doing another band but uh, let's just kind of finish on slugfest first i guess um the recorded output output from slugfest wasn't too heavy right you guys just did a couple a couple things in the few years of your band yeah we did um well there was kind of like two parts of slugfest because we played like the first lineup that we had and then we kind of um broke up not in like in a terrible dramatic way but um we just kind of fizzled out for a minute and then we kind of regrouped um and we didn't all we did during during the first uh the first lineup was just do our first demo and then when we got back together we did like a couple demos and then seven inch then we broke up but then we went back and recorded the rest of what would become the CD. And then when we did the reunion show, we put out the, the live 
you know a couple songs from that from that but yeah and then the, and then the discography that just came out like a couple of years ago which is basically just all that stuff combined but uh yeah not not a ton of stuff you know i think what is that eight eight good quality studio songs you know is, is what is what it you know was re- ended up being released right the cd i think it's eight songs so yeah you know a couple demos a cd um and then yeah and then the live one i think yeah that's everything but it's crazy to think that you know so many years later there'd be interest to, to do a discography and that people would still be interested enough to to listen to the band you know yeah it, it is a trip it's cool i mean um i just re re-listened to a lot of it recently and and i think it holds up pretty good you know um the you listen to the to the to the cd it's two different sessions you know it's the the, the session that was the seven inch and then the set the session after we broke up but um you know it's good playing on it it's it's before the before the um era of being able to to edit everything up so crazy so it's 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 a pretty true you know true sounding you know true to what we sounded like it's not you know a lot of studio wizardry or anything and you know it, it holds up pretty good you know we um I, we wrote some good stuff because some good some good riffs and uh you know when we got tim um on that second lineup you know we got a lot of mileage out of that you know you can hang an, uh, an e chord and, and and tim can turn it into a part just with a cool beat you know he's 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 always been a really amazing drummer so um i you know I, I would say that you know some good riffs plus an amazing drummer is gonna really you know and then you know of course you know scott had the energy you know he's you know he was always good at you know keeping it moving on stage and everything like that so you know i think overall yeah it, 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 it it's it's held up pretty good you know i dig it i'm not i don't cringe when i hear it you know uh, definitely, uh, you know, I feel some pride when I when I listen to some of that stuff. I hear a couple of the riffs and I go, "Damn, that was a good riff, man." <laughs> well, I definitely was in a band that we started when I was 15. That if I went back to listen to it right now, I probably would not say, "Damn, that's a good riff." Um, <laughs> so yeah, you never know. There might be a piece of gold in there. No, there's there's a couple of mosh parts that might be all right, but for the most part, we weren't, uh, you know, we weren't we weren't really blazing too crazy of a trail back then. <laughs> um, so a really underappreciated band from Buffalo that you and Scott were in for a little while uh, would be Against All Hope. Um, how, how did it come about for you guys to join that band? How long how long were you guys in that yeah. for? Well, we were just in Against All Hope, like, I think that was like our senior year of high school. We were just in kind of in between those two parts of Slugfest. Um, we were just friends with those guys. We 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 started playing with them at the river rock and we just thought they were super cool. They were super nice guys. We had, um, we had hooked them up with, um, our guitar player from lost cause because we found out that they had known each other previously. So we kind of like re hooked them up and he started playing with them. And then, you know, they needed, they needed a rhythm section and, uh, and we jumped in. It's just, you know, that's how it is you know when you're young and i mean we'd go hang out at their practices and we were at every show and they were our dudes so when they needed someone of course we were going to do it you know 
So I played bass and Scott played drums. And I think we did that. It wasn't even like, I don't even think we were in for a full year before they got um, Phil and Dean, which were definitely like a step up, you know, for them. But, you know, and it was all, I don't remember the specifics, but I know that there was no like weirdness or anything. I think it just, it might've even been, oh, we were going to start Slugfest again or, or, you know, whatever it was, it was completely friendly. We just, we stepped in there and, and we, we, we played with them for, yeah, just like, I want to say like six or eight months, something like that. But, you know, it, it always seems so much longer when you're a kid, but when I really think about it, I, I think it was like not even all of our, our senior year, but, um, but it was cool. We, I like those guys. I learned that, that's another thing when you play, you know, when you're real young and you don't know what the hell you're doing and then you play with other people you immediately learn stuff. I mean, I learned, I learned a lot from playing with Tim Patterson, the guitar player from, from against all hope who then went on to be uh, in the pavers, which is another man that I love. Um, but yeah, he, he was, he taught me a lot um, about guitar and uh yeah those guys are just super cool we we always loved them we loved that seven inch when it came out so that the, the the original one with the shaft on it and all that it was just, we were just totally totally into them so when we had the chance to do it I, if i remember correctly scott got in first and then i was i just remember being like oh man i wish i was in there and then like within a week it was like oh you can too and uh and I remember being super pumped on that because, like I said, they're such good guys and such good songwriters, and we got along with them great. So that was super cool. But, yeah, that was, like, in the middle of Slugfest that we did that. And then, like I said, we ended up getting – that's after that we got back with the uh, the second Slugfest lineup, and that's when we did the 7-inch and all that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the Against All Hope deal. So – as I mentioned in the beginning of the interview, you've played in like 25 bands. Um, we're probably we're probably not going to go over every single one of them in this interview. If anybody's no. interested, if anybody's interested in your full discography, I'm sure there's a way to reach out to you and talk to you more about it. Um, but one thing I do want to say that no we no one's going to do that. <laughs> one thing I do want to say while we're skipping through a few bands, which we'll talk about more with like current events and COVID and stuff, is that. Um, well, in this interview, it might look like there's a gap in your playing in bands, but like you pretty much have been paying, playing in bands this whole time. Um, but like I said, we're gonna sure. we're gonna stick to like hardcore and punk mainly. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I play in other other stuff kind of in between. I mean, I, I you know I I played in a jazz band for a minute. Um, you know, I played in, in some some metal bands. I, I, all sorts of weird stuff. I just I you know I love music and. Uh, and I like, you know, I, I like playing with other people. So yeah, there's been, a, you know, we definitely don't have to hit. There's a lot of stuff in there that it's cool stuff, but it has nothing to do with, with the, with the, with the world we're talking about now. So we can definitely, uh, we can, we can skip over that stuff. But, um, but yeah, even, you know, even if as I'm looking at the list, there's not that, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's pretty continuous as far as, I don't think there's, really any big gaps maybe like maybe like a six month gap where i wasn't doing something that was like heavy and obnoxious you know um but you know just like spaced out with other stuff too like i said i, you know, I was playing in a jazz band for a minute and, and done some mellower stuff like that but you know playing's playing as far as i'm concerned you know it all makes you a better musician you know um so um yeah and let's see after slugfest uh 
Yeah, that would have been one of the little gaps because I, I definitely I was I was in a I was kind of singing in a in a kind of a punk garage band for a minute, but then I got hooked up um, with uh, Doug White from Watchmen Studios called me up and said he needed a guitar player for his band. They were called Disengage, and uh, they were really heavy and really on the metal side of, of hardcore. And as soon as I heard him, I was I was super into it. Um, I didn't know any of the other guys in the band, but um, I knew Doug um, not super well at the time, but I knew him well enough, and he, he thought um, that maybe I would work out. So um, I got in with them. And that's another thing, like I said before, when you're playing with um, with other people, you learn new things. And Doug is a, a insane guitar player, so playing with him, he taught me so much. I mean, it might sound funny and 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 obvious to, to someone listening to this, but you know, that was like 1995 I hooked up with him. I didn't know you could tune a guitar below E. Uh, I showed up at his house to learn the songs and he tuned my guitar to, to C. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? And I plugged <laughs> in and played and it, it absolutely blew my mind. I, I just didn't even know. I guess I just never thought about it before, like how some of those bands sounded so much heavier. I guess I just thought it was their amps or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I got a, a a lot of guitar lessons out of playing with Doug. I mean, anyone that knows Doug knows that he's like a ridiculous, like finger tapping, shredding metal maniac guitar player. So it was it was definitely well, one, it was cool that he even thought that, that I would be okay enough to to play in his band. You know, even though you know it wasn't the most technical stuff, but still, you know, the fact that you know he he gave me a shot like that but he he taught me a lot of stuff i learned uh, a ton of stuff about guitar playing with him i had never been in a band that did blast beats before um it was all very eye-opening and very cool and and definitely um at that point the heaviest thing i had ever played in you know i mean slugfest is a good you know heavy band but you know this was like i said double bass and blast beats and tuned down to c and it was like whoa you know that was super fun though you know i met those dudes they were from lockport so it was um jamming with, the, with, with, with those guys up in lockport it was it was cool it was a little bit different and uh and uh yeah i, I enjoyed that time very much we did a seven inch on uh, a little label i think it was out of connecticut it's called like just in case records and we did a, a, a really cool looking seven inch they did a really good job with it they put it on see-through red vinyl and put a big horse head dead horse head on the back and a, a big pentagram that was spinning around <laughs> on the front side it was it was a gnarly it was a gnarly record i was totally totally psyched when it came out you know and those guys were like i said they were they were heavy dudes so um you know i was happy to have that experience and, and to learn that yeah that was cool and I, that wasn't too long though i was only in that band for like a year and a half and then it kind of it kind of fizzled out um, Doug quit because at that point, that's when, when his studio was really taking off. He had moved from being in his parents' basement to like in a re, you know the real studio that he's still at now. And I think that his interest, you know, just kind of leaned towards recording more than than playing out and stuff. You know, I think it started to become a headache for him, um, especially with the with the maniacs that we had in the band. Um, you know, I think he was just kind of 
and then once he wasn't steering the ship, you know, there was no one steering the ship. And then it just kind of ran aground from there, but that's okay. You know, it, it, like I said, we put out that cool seven inch and, uh, you know, I've listened to it recently. It holds up pretty well. Up next is a song from Disengage. The song's called Turn the Gears. <laughs> tuning of guitars i'm sure we'll get to that again in a second with the next band but um in the notes you sent me it looks like there's uh, at least one interesting yeah. uh disengaged <laughs> story that you're not uh you're not uh letting on to yet <laughs> oh yeah, well i i was trying to think of some just some some crazy funny stuff that happened but um we had we were playing um we we're playing a, a show in uh in virginia beach 
and uh it was it was right after doug had quit so we it was just one guitar you know we went down we had i forget whose van it was but we had got a van we went down to play of course just a show in virginia beach because that's the smart thing to do don't put any shows in between it or you know on the way there or the way back just drive to virginia beach and play a show and come back um but we did it and we had a blast it was it was pretty chaotic we were i remember there was there was uh cookies being whipped around during our set it was it was pretty interesting but um we were driving home we i think i think someone had to be back at work so we were kind of doing the all-night drive thing and um i was doing the driving i for whatever reason um i usually end up behind the wheel in whatever band i'm in but i was driving and it was it was early morning not quite light yet just getting light because by the end of the story it was light but uh i was driving and i saw these kind of like smears on the road and i was you know it's late so i'm thinking am i like seeing am i hallucinating like what is going on and then all of a sudden we drove through it looked like maybe there had been 30 deer standing in the road that had all been annihilated by the same truck there was just hooves and heads and torsos and they were thumping under the the bottom of the van it woke everyone up i'm just going holy shit holy shit holy shit and everyone's gets up and it's just like um driving your van through a cannibal corpse album cover uh it was pretty intense i've never seen it. it was like deer armageddon it was it was pretty crazy i have not seen anything like it since um it, it was it was it was a bloody awful mess and i can't imagine the person who made that mess i mean it was bad enough driving through the aftermath but i cannot imagine what the hell happened to cause that scene but it was definitely like an eye-opening moment on tour not tour but you know on a road trip of like what the hell have we just witnessed yeah it was pretty gnarly but uh but pretty cool all right so it's interesting that you would kind of mention um you kind of fizzling out of disengage because uh doug not really wanted to play shows anymore and then i see the next band on the list uh that you played in actually uh or sang and actually has dug in it again um when i was when i was probably like I would say this is around the era when I really got into everything. Like, 95, 96 is when I kind of started getting into, like, local music and stuff. And Fledgling Death was already kind of yeah. around then. Um, Eric Sainer was one of the first people I met in Rochester, and he was the original singer of uh, Fledgling Death. And oh, yeah. then you ended up and then you ended up replacing him, though. Um, how did that all come about? I mean, I know how it came about. I don't know why. Um they got it in their head that they wanted to replace Eric. I don't, I, I believe it just was because he was not, um, what they would call reliable. Although I don't know how reliable you needed to be for fledgling death, but I think that whatever, there was some sort of, they, they just, you know, I, whatever, who knows? I mean, he, his voice was insane. That dude has the lowest growl and like he was perfect for that band. But um, uh, for whatever reason, um, yeah, Doug called me up and he said he's he, he said he th he thought I'd be a good singer for them because he he I think he kind of wanted a singer to to act as as obnoxious as their lyrical content was. Um, 
and he thought that I could do that. So he really encouraged me to like really be insane and and do dumb shit on stage. Although ultimately it ended up, I I think we took it a little too far, and uh, and then he <laughs> he ended up temporarily quitting fledgling death, and then uh, and then reforming it again without without me in it. <laughs> so I think. Which I don't hold against him, but at the same time, it's funny because he was the one who, who told me every show he'd be like, yeah, yeah, turn it up, man, turn it up, like, let's let's go crazy, and then, and then finally, um, you know, we, they were doing really well in Rochester, and when they got me in the band, they had they had a whole summer of like good opening slots booked at the Penny Arcade, and like by my third show with them, I think like four of them got got canceled you know or, or the shows didn't get canceled but but our slots on them did <laughs> um but you know i was just doing what i was asked to do you know um the the the, the craziness that the last straw of that i don't know if, if you had heard about this but it was in rochester and it was a it was a it was a like a tattoo show um slash show um kind of not quite a convention but it was, it was really loose and, and kind of an awful clusterfuck but there was a few bands playing and there was like kind of a there weren't people tattooing there but there was like people getting their 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 uh tattoos judged you know to to win best tattoo of the day or whatever and uh at one point there was a guy from a from a rochester band and he was up on stage getting a tattoo judged and i noticed he had a swastika on his back and uh and i said something about it and then he kind of laughed it off and kind of said like oh you're funny or something like that and uh i didn't think anything of it and then the band it was, it was before we played there was a band they were kind of like i think they wanted to be like marilyn manson and they had uh they had like mannequins on stage they had some stereo equipment on stage that they kind of timidly half kind of smashed up a little bit and it was very underwhelming and uh i had drank about 12 natural ices <laughs> in the parking lot <laughs> and we came out and i i think i was mostly naked by like the third song um we absolutely smashed all the stuff that they had left on stage into smithereens um there was a stereo an old school like 70s style stereo that i remember swinging over my head smashing stuff um eventually we got the, the power pulled on us and it was just it was you know you got to get out of here <laughs> um we found out that during the show i guess Ingve Malmsteen had played in Rochester that night and um, him and his entourage had stopped in because, you know, oh, you know, what's there to do in town tonight or whatever after the show. And uh, the rumor has it that he saw about four seconds of us on stage and was like, nah, and turned around and left. <laughs> so uh, I guess, um, I guess fledgling death wasn't his cup of tea, but <laughs> So yeah, so we got the power pulled on us, and then um, we uh, we went out to the uh, we were out in, in behind the place, and, uh, and the, the, the dude comes up to me that I had seen earlier, and he was like, "Hey man," 
he's walking up to me he goes i really like your band and then when he got close he goes but i don't like you and then we got even closer he just sucker punched me it was the the guy that i had called out for the uh swastika tattoo and he had brought several of his um very intelligent and well-mannered friends with him to uh to maybe talk to me about how i disrespected their friend in a swastika tattoo um so they kind of surrounded me and and uh you know decided they were gonna put the boots to me but uh i said fuck that and started running because i'm not fighting six guys <laughs> so i stopped so i was running they were chasing me and uh my legs felt like a, like a cartoon character <laughs> like uh, uh spinning propeller and uh my uh my feet tripped up i took a roll i went on the ground they all got around me they all started kicking me and uh i almost like obi-wan kenobi in my head i heard the voice of mark balanca who is the singer of zero tolerance and i had remembered him telling me at a show i don't know how it came up but he had told me one time he said man it's not like the movies if you're fighting multiple dudes you're gonna get messed up cover your head cover your balls and hope for the best so i curled up like a potato bug <laughs> and uh and and just let him kind of kick me for a little bit um I was such an idiot. I was still mouthing off saying stupid things like, does it really take six of you to do this? I think three will be just fine. And, uh, eventually I heard, uh, Joe Valella come tearing around the corner in his car. And, uh, I jumped up and ran towards his car and, uh, dove head first through the, uh, driver's side window, which was rolled down and, and drove out of Rochester with my legs hanging out of the, uh, of the window of his car. And, uh, so, uh, after that show, um, two of us, Joe and I, uh, well, the other two guys, Doug and Chris said, I don't ever want to do that again. Let's not be a band anymore. And Joe and I said, I want to do that every night. Let's start a new band. And that's kind of how bleed for me got started was kind of out of the, the disarray of that of that fledgling death show of that last one at the time they ended up regrouping and and you know they got tharpy in there to to sing and you know and it's all cool i'm still cool with those guys you know at the time they were just like you know they were just over it you know it got a little it got a little too crazy for them but um but yeah that was a crazy crazy night in your hometown <laughs> uh, that yeah that was that was like beyond bonkers um ugly from beginning to end it was it was a really wild night but it, it was super fun and then that's yeah that's how we started bleed for me um we just wanted to be crazy like that i don't think we ever i think we maybe played one other show that got close to as crazy as that you know for the most part we were just a normal hardcore band but the idea of it was we wanted to be you know mannequin smashing ying fei disgusting <laughs> uh maniacs every night um yeah so that's and so yeah that was like 98 and we started bleed for me um pretty much right after that we started started writing songs and and figuring that out so and, yeah. and bleed for me was around for for quite a bit too right yeah we played for 10 years um 98 to 2008 was was 
yeah, we, you know, um, varying degrees of busyness, you know, um, but we were a band pretty much that whole time. Um, you know, sometimes doing more stuff than others, but yeah, we were about a 10 year stretch there. Uh, we did some good stuff during that time, played a lot of cool shows. Um, did two records, one that was cool and came out, one that was even cooler and didn't come out. Um, but, uh, and a seven inch, we did a seven inch before that. And that was, that was a, a cool experience. That was the first time, um, I was ever in a band that where we did our own seven inch, we just bypassed, you know, trying to get on a label and just kind of did it ourselves. So that was, that was a pretty cool learning experience. And, uh, you know, that was good stuff. Actually, good actually kind of backpedaling a little bit and maybe I'm just kind of, you know, digging too much into that, that crazy story you just told. Yeah. The name bleed for me. Did that come out of that incident happening at all? Or was that just coincidence? No bleed for me. It's funny. I mean, I, uh, no bleed for me is the name of my favorite dead Kennedy song. Um, musically and lyrically, it's just, uh, an amazing song. And I, um, I always thought it would be a cool band name before we did that. Um, and yeah, I just always thought, and it's funny because like, so I, I did that based on a dead Kennedy song, one of my all time favorite bands, but around that same time and, and we weren't doing it to jump on the trend, but I mean, how many bands from the late nineties were bleed, bled, blood, bleeding, you know, I mean, there, you know, blood has been shed. I mean, just all these Everything, bands. Yeah. And, and so, and probably a lot of people who didn't who didn't know who DK or who didn't not not know who they were, but who didn't listen to DK or, or anything would probably just think we were just kind of jumping onto that kind of um, stylistic trend of, of the way bands were naming. But it, it, it was it was kind of funny at the time because every show we'd be on, there'd be another band on the bill with bleeding blood or bled in the name. And it was just kind of like, oh, man, you know. But, you know, I still stand by it. It's a cool name. Not only is it a cool, uh, is it a cool Dead Kennedy song, you know, one of my favorites, but also after, I didn't realize until afterwards, but there's that great, uh, in, uh, If You Want Blood by ACDC, and that break in the middle, he goes, I want you to bleed for me. <laughs> so, you know, you can tie ACDC in with it too. So that's all right by me, you know. Um, but yeah, I, you know. I wish I wish we would have got to do more. Um, we had a really cool lineup of, of people that played well, and I think we wrote really cool songs. Um, but you know, sometimes sometimes you know, luck of the draw, stuff just doesn't pan out. You know, and uh, so you know, we did some cool stuff, and if anyone wants to hear it, you know, it's around. But uh, then eventually we all moved on. You know, with Bleed for Me too, the main thing we. When, when we really hit our groove is when we got um, our guitar player, Aaron. Um, he was the original bass player in Every Time I Die. He played, like, on their first couple of discs. And he's a really good friend of mine. He's an amazing musician, super talented. I wanted to play in a band with him so bad just because I just knew we listened to so much of the same stuff and had so much of the same influences. Um, so when we, I was able to finally coerce him into to playing with us and it, it made all the difference in the world it really like you know we were we were okay before we got him once we got him in it, it really 
it, 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 the music got really amazing. He's a super talented dude. I've been in a bunch, a bunch of bands with him. You know, a few of the bands that that'll get mentioned today. You know, I've been in with him. That was Bleed for Me was the first one though. He's just the best dude. Like he's the best dude and the best musician. Um, so so once we started playing with him, that's like that's when stuff got really weird in the best way possible. You know. And before we dive into your next band, I know from doing the Bill Page interview and just from being around at that time that you guys had two two bass players. At one point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our seven inch has two bass players. Basically, we, um, we Bill had a, a band with Aaron. This this was before we got Aaron in the band. Um, they weren't in at the same time, but they had an awesome band called Kill Shot. If anyone out there um, hasn't heard them, you see if maybe someone stuck their stuff up on, on YouTube or something. The demo they did is so good. It's so heavy and so. It, I just love it. I've always loved it. And um, Bleed For Me was going to do a, a split with Killshot. And I just remember Bill calling me. And, and basically, Aaron had joined Every Time I Die. And I guess that had kind of killed Killshot. It was the Killshot for Killshot <laughs> was Aaron joining Every Time I Die. So Bill was kind of like, well, the good news is we got the song recorded for that split. But the bad news is we're not a band anymore. So you probably don't want to do a split with us. And we just said, well, you, you, you play bass in bands. You want to just play bass in our band? Our bass player, Joe, um, Joe Valella, he played his bass. So he played through a, a Marshall half stack, you know, it was all distorted and, and you know, almost guitar sounding anyways, you know? So we thought, oh, we could add a second bass player to be more of like a traditional clean bass tone. And then we had, you know, the, the dirty bass and then guitar. So, you know, it wasn't that dissimilar to just being a, a two guitar, one bass band in the way we had it set up. But yeah, that basically just happened. It wasn't like a, a like a, we need to do something different. It's literally like, how can we stick Bill in our band? You know, we have a singer. Well, he plays bass. All right, let's put him on bass, you know. But it was cool when we did it that way. I mean, if you listen to the to a, the seven inch we did, it, it's it sounds cool. It's heavy, you know. Um, two bases was pretty cool, you know. Not a lot of bands. There's been a few bands that have done it, but it's not, you know. You know, I don't know. It was fun, <laughs> but that was only. He was in for like a year. It was like a year of two bases. Then we didn't. Or actually, we did pursue it after that. We had our, our friend Rob came in, and he he was on second base for a minute, um, and then we just dropped down to one base, one guitar. But he took it to another level because he was coming in with a fretless so <laughs> so yeah so then it was getting then it was getting a little crazy but um but yeah so we did that we did the two the double i shouldn't say double bass that sounds like uh drums but yeah the two bass player thing for a minute it, it, you know it was cool um someone else should do it yeah someone probably is doing it someone's probably doing it right now as we speak <laughs> there's probably a lot of weird projects going on now people are probably pretty bored not being able to play shows the next song is by Bleed For Me, and it's called Phobophobophobia.
So in the in the decade that you did bleed for me, there's obviously a few other bands that you did. Um, yeah. One of the one of the bands that I hadn't heard of, but you and I talked about before, that that seems like it was a pretty cool project, was uh, Bonesaw Romance. Yes, that was uh, that was a super fun record we did. Um, uh, that was um, Aaron uh, had wrote a bunch of kind of stoner metal-y kind of jams and uh was putting a band together and uh and i joined it and we went to record some songs i think it was just going to be a demo or whatever it was going to be you know but we had like a decent amount of songs and we had a singer and the singer just kind of bombed out on us um you know he had a, a fairly serious job and i think he just you know, he wasn't taking it that serious and we take everything way too serious. So, um, so we had this, this, uh, this record that didn't end up having any vocals on it. And, uh, so I, I was trying to think like, well, man, we should try and get someone to sing on it. I, I actually, um, I also had some other music. I, I sent out two packages. I sent one out to the singer um, to one of the singers of all, you know, the descendants, all band, um, Scott Reynolds. And I sent the other, uh, music I had to, um, to the singer of verbal assault, who's, uh, uh, you know, a hardcore band from, uh, I think they're from Rhode Island that I love from, I don't know if you're in verbal assault, but I love them and they're amazing. So I just was like, what's the worst that can happen? They'll say no. They'll get some weird record in the mail from some dude they don't know, and either they'll like it or they won't. And um, the dude from Verbal Assault um, politely said, this stuff is cool, but I'm a chef now. And uh, and the dude from All said, this stuff is great, man. Yeah, let's do it. Well, he said, actually, he said, uh, I'm about to move to Austin, Texas, but I really like this stuff, so let's do it anyways, and we'll figure the rest of it out later. And uh, he he recorded vocals on that record. He absolutely killed it. Um, and uh, we got the record put out. And then then he moved to Austin. And we didn't do anything else. That was it. But um, it was cool. The, the the whole the whole reason we did it was um, uh, he he was also in um, after all he was in the Pavers um, with. Tim Patterson, who I talked about earlier with Against All Hope, and you know Tim's Tim's my dude, and I had heard you know oh my God Tim's in a band with the singer from All oh, This is crazy like I, I had heard it out of nowhere, and I had heard their their first show was going to be at um what the hell was it Holiday Valley the ski lodge you know the ski ski resort um it's out in the middle of nowhere, but they were playing like in the winter time like after a snowboarding event they were playing like a ski lodge. And uh, a friend of mine drove out to see him, so we were really excited. And uh, in the middle of their set, um, they covered TNT by ACDC. And they they did a killer. I mean, Scott's a great singer, and he can definitely do a good Bon Scott. And so here's like this melodic, descendancy kind of punk band. In the middle of their set, they did an ACDC song. And when, when we recorded our songs we had recorded a whole lot of rosie by acdc um and then had no one to sing it and i literally i just thought 
well, he's a he's a punk rocker, but he obviously likes ACDC because I saw them cover ACDC. So he might like this just based on that. It was literally all I had to go on. I had never met him before or anything. I just, there was that thin thread of like underground dude who still likes ACDC and we have an ACDC song. Maybe he'll want to do it. So I just took that shot and I, I mailed it to him. And, and, and like I said, he dug it. We, we only played two shows. We played two shows. We recorded one of them. And so one of the, uh, on our record that we put out, there's, um, there's a live track of us doing fire by Hendrix, which came out pretty cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we played like two shows and then he moved away and then we just never did anything else. The, the record came out on a, a little label. Um, I think it was out of England called boss tunage. <laughs> and, um, I, Scott, I knew him through his travels, you know, through previous stuff. I don't know if it was through all, or he was in a band called goodbye Harry too. However, he knew the guy and he, he hooked it up for that guy to put it out. If anyone wants to check it out, um, the album is up on YouTube. It's just like, um, it's like stoner metal, but played by punk rock guys. Um, and it's, it's cool. It's got really a lot of great guitar. If you like cool guitar solos and stuff, it's, it's definitely cool. So if anyone wants to hear, if that sounds like something that you'd be into, you can definitely check it out. It's up on YouTube and, uh, you know, I'm proud of it as a record. It, 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 it came out really cool. Um, and, uh, and that dude can sing his ass off, man. I mean, he's, you know, that was a really cool experience to be able to, to, to be in a band with someone who can really like sing, you know what I mean? And, and not even, you know, sing, but still, um, you know, it wasn't like a, like a sissified singing or, Oh, let's make, you know, I mean, he's got a gritty, gravelly voice, but you know, and it was just, a, it was a really cool experience to like, to lay down tracks and then hear someone put that over it. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I wish we, you know, we recorded the music for a second record and then never, and then never did anything with it. Um, I wish that would have happened, but at least we have that one, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's the bone saw romance. That's the, the short version of it. Um, one quick, oh, if, one thing about that? that, if anyone that listens to this is in any way, um, a Zappa head at all, um, we had Ike Willis, who, um, is one of the best dudes that ever played with Zappa. We had him, um, do a little, we, we cornered him at, at one of his concerts and got him to say something on our record, <laughs> um, which, which probably means nothing to 99.9% .9 of people, but to the few people that, um, that know how fucking cool Ike Willis is. It's pretty sweet that we got him on there to me that was like a major highlight even though it was just a chance thing where we literally just brought um i put batteries in my sampler and brought it to a show and asked him if he would if he would say something he was super cool about it um but to me that's like one of the highlights of the records when i go back and listen to it to be like wow i got a guy that played with zappa is on our record it's it's pretty cool so um yeah that was that was excellent next up is a song by bonesaw romance and the song is titled whole lot of rosie Show. Chain is that it pretty? 
my mind is kind of blown a little bit by the the beginning story of that because if it was like the 80s or 90s i could see like just mailing like a package to people um you said you didn't know the dude who ended up singing for your band did you know the dude from verbal assault at all either even less at least with scott i i knew people who knew him yeah um no the guy from verbal assault i just it was like um i just stumbled onto a, a, a po box for him maybe i think it was like i think he was maybe just starting to digitalize and document verbal assault on an online basis and therefore he had contact info up i think this might i still have the letter he sent me it was really nice it was funny like he was very flattering, but he was just like, he's like, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not really doing that anymore. <laughs> then a few years later, Verbal Assault got back together and did some shows, but obviously, you know, that's a little bit easier to, to you know, to play shows with a, you know, a band that people are clamoring to hear instead of starting from, you know, from scratch again. So I didn't take any offense to it, but he said, he wrote me a really nice letter and said, you know, I'm really flattered, but I'm a chef now and that's kind of my passion. So, um, you know, thanks, but no thanks. But, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, what's the worst that can happen? You know, they say no, they don't answer at all. It's whatever, you know, it's not going to offend me. I just figure, you know, if you don't ask, you'll never know. Right. Yeah. So. That's a good, that's a good, uh, lesson for the kids, I guess. You, you don't know until you try. Um, Hell yeah. look at, look at, on, um, was that one beasties album where they got the, the, um, the the phone message from Mixmaster Mike. He's just calling them and scratching into their phone. Like, if you if you got something you're doing, you think someone, you know, why not? At, you know, shit. Ask whoever to plan whatever. Like I said, you know, you can't get in trouble for asking. Yeah. And who knows if they hear something? You know, that dude. When we asked Scott, he sent the first thing he sent me back said. I would love to sing on this. He said, this is a record I would never write, but it's a record I would listen to, and I would love to try and write on this. You know, it was cool to hear him say that. So, you know, and it, and it, it sounds like it challenged him a little bit too. So anyone listening, I recommend, hell, send send whoever whatever. See what happens. You never know. You might be on the next Kiss album. So uh, a good old friend of mine who's been on the podcast before, uh, Ruben, you've, you've played in a yes. few bands. you played in a few bands with him. Um, the next couple bands we'll talk about, at least we'll have him. Um, sure. So Infamous, and you and I have talked about this before, how, like, I mean, I've been into hardcore and punk, specifically in this area, for like 25 years. So I don't know, like, I feel like you and I have definitely met each other before, but we both can't really recall like a time where we've had like a conversation or ever. Um, but I'm sure I would have been at some sure. of the. Inf I'm sure when you played in Infamous, I would have been at some of those shows because I saw Infamous a ton back in the day. Um, how, how did you join in that band? All come about? Yeah, and we played Rochester a bunch. Um, they they were already they were already rolling a little bit because um, I wasn't there. Like they, you know, they had already played a few shows and everything when I joined. I think. I think they just needed another guitar player and Ruben was like, I'm friends with Jay. He, he'll do it. He'll probably do it. And he called me up and asked me and I, I just kind of jumped in. Um, I had a good time with that band, but I didn't really, I didn't have, I, I wasn't calling any shots. I wasn't really, I was just kind of maybe like one step away from just being a hired gun, so to speak. I just kind of showed up, did my thing. Um, 
you know, I mean, I, I was fine if, if I was asked to contribute whatever I did, but it really wasn't my thing. You know, that was like Ruben and Joe Riverside. And, uh, you know, they just kind of pulled me in. Um, yeah, I think it helped them out a little to have someone in that they could be say like, oh, this guy, you know, from this band, this band and this band, you know, because everyone else was pretty new at the time. But, um, but yeah, I just kind of went with the flow. We played a bunch of shows. Um, I couldn't tell you where half of them were or who they were with because it was all just a big blur. Um, of course, through Riverside's connection, a lot of them were like with um, extremely straight edge bands <laughs> and uh, in extremely straight edge places. But, you know, it was a fun time. And, it, you know, I, I, I think I played like a year with them maybe and then um i think i just bounced from ruben bounced because ruben brought me in and i think ruben was done with it and then i think i just went well oh i'm kind of here because of you so if you're not in i'm not in so i just kind of you know it wasn't like uh there wasn't a blowout or anything but i just kind of tapped on that um when he did but you know it was a good time while it lasted we played like i said some cool shows mostly like that was like I think I played more skate parks with that band than any other band I was in. I think I think I played on more half pipes than, uh, than any other any other band I was ever in. Um, but yeah, there wasn't much to that. I think I might have recorded on a demo with them. I don't. I couldn't even tell you what their full discography was. And if you put a gun to my head, I couldn't name a song. But I just remember having fun with it. I have loose, vague memories of different shows we played, and uh, yeah. You know, like I said, just going with the flow, helping some friends out. And then that kind of segues into your next band, which brings back a point you brought up earlier in the interview about um, how you end up driving the van a lot of times when you're in bands. And from what I know from interviewing Mike Jeffers and other people he's been in bands with, is that he seems like somebody who does like the overnight drives too. Oh yeah, I didn't drive at all in case the panic. (laughs) <laughs> that was my one um that was my vacation from driving <laughs> um yeah jeffers jeffers did all the driving in that band um you know but whatever that's his deal that's cool <laughs> it was his van um but uh yeah uh face the panic um you know i would known jeffers for a, a long long time and um our bands practice right next door to each other at the at discovery records and and uh he uh he approached me about doing a band i think he might have had it kind of starting to get set up already um but you know he he kind of wanted to put a, a band together thought i'd be a good singer for it and um i think i believe maybe him and ruben and sweeper had already kind of decided that they were going to do it. And then they asked me. And then once I got in, I kind of, uh, um, pushed hard for Aaron to get in, to be on lead guitar. Um, cause as I said before, I, I, I love playing with him. I try and bring him in on anything I can. I, he's one of my absolute favorite people, um, both playing music and not playing music. So, I'm pretty sure that's how that happened. So I was like the yeah, like the, the fourth guy in and then I dragged the fifth guy in. And uh yeah, we just um you know, it was it was it was a cool band. It was definitely a, a um 
a, a, an interesting mix of people that um, um, it was never a dull moment. <laughs> a lot of a lot of big personalities. Um, we did some cool stuff. We had um, um, Rob Antonucci put out our first disc, and then um, then uh, Patrick at, at Reaper put out a record for us, and then uh, we uh, we did some shows and. And then we fell apart. <laughs> and uh, but that, but we had some good times there. We did some cool stuff. We did a really cool um, two week tour out to the West Coast. Um, that was quite adventurous. There's a lot of craziness. Um, we went down. We played Tijuana. Um, I definitely had. Uh, I definitely had a machine gun pointed at me. Um, we were at, we were at this this club and uh, this uh, right around the corner from the club was a, was a convenience store and I just wanted to go get a soda and I was walking and I just made the mistake of, of making eye contact with a policeman and uh, the way they were set up down there is they had little uh, Toyota pickup trucks and they had one guy driving one guy in the passenger seat and then one guy standing in the bed like with a machine gun on a tripod. And they called me over and the guy had the machine gun on the tripod pointed at me. And, uh, he's like yelling at me in Spanish and I don't really speak Spanish. I can kind of speak it. Okay. If you talk to me, like I'm a, a, a mentally handicapped three-year-old, you know, if you talk that slow, I can kind of get it. But this guy was just yelling at me. And, uh, I had my wallet in my hand and I said, I said, I'm sorry, sir. I don't speak Spanish. And the guy stopped, and in perfect, perfectly enunciated English, he said, oh, you don't speak Spanish, just like that, and then immediately went right back to yelling at me in Spanish, <laughs> and I was terrified, and I just handed him my whole wallet. I was hoping he would just take the money out and let me go and stop pointing a machine gun at me, um, and all of a sudden, this kid came running over, and he went, wait, 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 wait. And uh, it was a kid. He was he was from San Diego, but he was living down in Tijuana. Um, and he came running over and he handed the cop a, a business card. And he said, "This is my landlord. This is my landlord." And the, the the cop looked at the card and he said, "This is your landlord." And he went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he goes, "And he's with me." The guy handed the cop handed him his card back, threw my wallet at me, and they just drove away. Um, I don't know who that landlord was, um, but I'm glad that dude had that card because that was crazy. I, that was that was like a really scary moment of like, um, I was trying to keep my nose clean, man. I was like 15 feet away from the club. You know, I didn't even cross the street. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, please, please don't shoot me or put me in jail. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. But that ended up being an amazing show that night. That was probably one of the most fun shows I've ever played in my life. Um, it was, it was super great. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a really cool, uh, two week tour we did out, uh, out to the West coast and back. That was probably the, the craziest moment was the machine gun, but there was a lot of other crazy highlights. That was the same trip. We, uh, we were, when we were on uh, revolution Boulevard, we saw the, the, uh, donkey painted to look like a zebra so the tourists could get their pictures taken with a zebra but it was a donkey <laughs> like it was clearly a donkey Jeez. 
but he's painted like a zebra. Oh man, um, that poor donkey. Yeah, he didn't look happy at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's wild down there. Um, Tijuana is crazy. Like, um, it's it, it, it's there's people there. It's hard to believe that there's people there that live like that. You know, that it's a hard life. But then at the same time, at the show, there would be kids at the show that were um they look like they'd be at a show here you know like they could be like from lancaster or something like that like totally like you know quote-unquote suburban normal you know they had cars they drove to the show it was just like a show in america in some regards but then at the same time you have like 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 little panhandling pauper children peddling 25 cent packs of chiclets to you know it's it's just such a weird mix of of what's going on over there it's really eye-opening you know um so i didn't know what to make of it you know i i I couldn't tell what was a good neighborhood what was a bad neighborhood what you know it was just like a culture shock for me but it was really cool you know i mean the people that we met at the show were super amazing like i said it was other than the fact that we crossed the border it was they weren't any different than anywhere else they were you know had mad ball shirts on and and like i said little toyotas and they were just you know just like us but you know but amongst that there was people that are definitely living a way different life you know it's kind of crazy the 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 different the disparaging uh or the disparity in in levels of of living there was pretty wild that was the first that that was the first time i got i i I played there a couple other times but when we went there that first time um it was definitely like oh wow you know learning moment but um yeah and then uh face the panic fell apart shortly after that (laughs) as 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 hardcore bands tend to do but it's all good Uh, you know i'm I'm still cool with those guys and and uh everyone's gone on to do other stuff so you know and it's cool well, as, we did was pretty cool so as you had mentioned in the beginning of talking about face the panic and mike jeffers mentioned in his interview um doug white who we brought up before had mentioned when you guys were recording at one point that there were some pretty strong personalities in that band so it was kind of oh, yeah. inevitable he, he had no faith in us yeah <laughs> <laughs> he was like this isn't gonna end well or whatever so yeah i mean i mean how could it though but that's the same thing that that, that makes stuff cool you know what i mean that's like that's the story of half the cool hardcore and punk rock bands that ever existed was like, you know, people, people not getting along can make, can make music as well. Like, you know, that can be as good of a factor as getting along well. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, if you ever seen any of like the, the documentaries on the Ramones, they talk about that all the time. Like these are dudes that just did not like each other, but they knew they, had a job to do together and they came together to form this Voltron of awesomeness and then wouldn't speak to each other outside of it. I was never in a situation like that, but you know, but there is something to be said for like, um, anti-chemistry, you know what I mean? It's, it's definitely, and I'm sure it's, it's been in, in a, I'm sure there's a lot of examples you could find of bigger bands, you know, where it, where it is, it's like, you know, people that, that just don't, you know they don't necessarily hang out or whatever but they know when they get into a room that they're going to do something cool and you know but you know i mean i liked all those guys we just everyone had strong opinions you know everyone had been in other bands everyone knew what they wanted to do and 
and it didn't always line up with, you know, with what everyone else wanted to do, but, you know, we just banged heads and made it work until it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Next up is a song from Face the Panic. The song is titled Authority Pollutes. together um when you and i were going over the notes for this interview we kind of talked about it a little bit and i was kind of surprised um oh yeah so kind of tell me a little bit about what, what what's going on with that um yeah um so like a long time ago um i recorded some songs uh yeah. and just couldn't get anything going with them for whatever reason and uh i played them for scott and he was into them and said hey man i'll sing on these songs you know since you're not doing anything else with them like they're cool heavy songs let's do something with them um so he recorded some vocals on them um we we named uh we named it serpents of shiva um which you know it's uh we're not krishna guys but i've always liked the 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 stories you know what i mean but i just treat them as stories and that is you know religious dogma and so you know if you look up uh if you read anything about shiva and the 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 serpents that surround shiva it's just i just thought it'd be a cool cool imagery but you know we're not like uh krishna conscious or anything like that just a cool cool name but um 
we did those songs and uh someone was gonna put them out i forget who but like a long time ago like i recorded those songs in like i think 2008 2009 um and he recorded his vocals on within within a year of that you know they sat around for a while but then he did them and then we he had a couple people like oh yeah i'll put it out i'll put it out but things kind of fell through and we just sat on him for years and then uh just recently um we just kind of went hey remember that shit we did maybe we should put that out so kind of we're, we're in the in the process now of um of maybe doing um a seven inch we only did two songs so i'm not sure if we're just going to do a, like a two song you know like almost like a single you know one song on each side or maybe a split with another band um uh, i'll let scott handle that you know he he's always got kind of good ideas of of what to do with stuff so you know i'll uh i'll defer to him on that but it, it'll be out at some point you know i mean at this point you know <laughs> it's been so long what's another little bit longer but at some point it'll come out and it's cool stuff it's just heavy metally hardcore um you know kind of kind of gritty and heavy and low and double bassy and just cool stuff that um like i said i i, I recorded it and then really couldn't find uh, a lineup of dudes that i was comfortable with doing it with so i just kind of shelved it but when he heard it he said yeah let's do it so um you know it'll it'll come out at some point um but i mean it's been around so long at one point we had like a um like a myspace page for it i remember when we first did it so i remember we had one of the songs up remember how like when you'd go onto a page it would just start playing music automatically i remember we had that up on there that, that like people could check out one of the songs but i mean that's how long ago we originally did it and then we just, like I said, we canned it for the longest time, and now it, it's uh, it's going to be out at some point. So if anyone, if that sounds uh, interesting to anyone, keep your eyes peeled. At some point, that'll come out. Um, you know, two two knuckleheads from Slugfest doing uh, some more songs. Did you did you play drums on it too, or or is it kind of like uh... I played? I did all the music, but like uh, I. I'm not a double bass drummer, so all the we we Lars all ripped all the double bass is uh, is studio wizardry. Um, so we just I hooked up a triggered kit and I laid beats down, but I just played regular beats and then and then uh, there was parts that I, I really wanted like a, a double bass feel and that's just not my wheelhouse i'm a pretty decent drummer but i just i was i i never locked in on the double bass stuff so there's some uh artificially manipulated double bass but um but other than that and then also i think doug it's been a while since i heard it but i think doug might have put a couple little little leady licks down on it on his guitar um but then i did the rest i played all the rest of the music that actually leads me into another question that i hadn't really thought of um you talked about like just kind of learning how to play music just by like playing in hardcore and punk bands like years ago. When yes. did when did you learn how to play the drums? Or was it just kind of like playing in bands and watching other people play drums? Or yeah, I, um, I I used to jump on when when I was in Slugfest is when it started. I would just like when we would take a break, everyone else would take a break, and I would be like, "Can I play your drums?" And I would jump on the drums, but. Um, 
I'm left-handed. I learned how to play guitar right-handed, but I, I, I would jump on their drum sets and I would always think to myself, man, if I could just set this thing up like a mirror image, I think I could do this, you know? And I would, I would goof around on their, on their drums. And, and then eventually I just, um, I think I told you the story before I, I, I was, I was singing in a band and I saw a band playing that I, I, they blew my mind and I, I don't know what possessed me, but I, I told the, the singer guitar player at the end, I said, if your drummer ever quits, call me, I'll play drums for you. Even though I didn't really play drums at the time. Um, but I didn't tell him that. And two weeks later he called me and said, yeah, our drummer quit. And I just kind of willed myself into it. I knew I could do it. I, I got the drum kit together and, and I just through sheer, just wanting to get the gig, I just kind of, kind of did it, you know, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't the prettiest thing, but I did it well enough to get the, to get the job. And then that was kind of all I needed to like do it all the time. You know, once I hit, Oh, I'm in a band playing the drums now. Well, I should play these things eight hours a day until I can do, you know, and that just kind of kickstarted it. So, um, yeah, I just kind of self-taught and I never, really took any lessons i always picked the brains of drummers that i played with and i always would you know when i'm playing guitar in a band i'm still watching what the drummer's doing so i've learned a lot just by being in bands with good drummers you know i mean like i said you know when i was in slugfest with tim redman i mean he's a he's an amazing drummer i learned he, he taught me so much and he was always really cool about if i did ask him questions too you know so um I guess even like, you know, with all the questions I was asking him, I was kind of mentally preparing to play drums before I physically got into it, you know, but, um, yeah, just, I just, I just wanted to do it. I just willed it to happen, you know, um, and it's fun. I'm glad I did. It's, it's actually my favorite instrument to play. I'm not playing drums in a band right now, but, um, I, I love playing the drums. I, I miss it a lot. I just, I don't really have time to do it. You know, I got other stuff going on. Um, but I, yeah, I love playing the drums. So I'm also left-handed, and you were mentioning before about it, it looking backwards. Like, do you have to set up the drums differently, or is that just because, like, the first time you looked at it, it looked like that? No, I, I, when I play the drums, I set them up, like, the opposite of what, you know, I put, you know, I hit the hi-hat with my, with my left hand and the snare with my right, so it's my drum set looks like a mirror image of most people's drum sets. You'll see other drummers, like, I think the current drummer of Sheer Terror plays um left-handed if you want if you look at footage of him that's a left-handed kid or um like if you go back and look at old ass footage of um deep purple their drummer was a lefty so his his kit's like a mirror image um there's been a you know there's not as many obviously you know it's the same thing with guitars you don't see as many people playing a lefty but you do see it but it's just basically a mirror image you know everything's just going the opposite direction um and, you know, I almost wish I had just forced myself to learn on a right-handed kit because, you know, it's, it's, you can't ever just like share a kit at a show or anything like that. You know, it's, it's a real pain in the ass, but I just didn't, you know, when you're dealing with all, moving all four of your limbs or whatever, it was just kind of too hard to like, to, to overcome. And I just said, I just knew like if I flipped it around, it would make all the difference. And sure enough, as soon as I did, I was like, oh, I kind of actually sound like I know what I'm doing here. So. <laughs> just kind of had to be i'm glad i learned guitar right-handed um because again like buying guitars and stuff like that just makes it a lot easier or if you need to borrow one from someone 
Um, but I think it was a little easier to, um, to do opposite handed, you know, for, you know, whatever reason, at least cause you know, when you're playing guitar, at least if you're playing, you know, my left hand is my fretboard hand. It's my dominant hand. So at least, you know, at least there's some gotta be some advantage to that. You yeah. know what I mean, but, um, yeah, I just, uh, I couldn't fake it, but I, yeah, the only reason I started playing guitar right-handed because I was in school before I played guitar, and I, I was in music class, and, and the um, they were going to teach kids how to play guitar on acoustics, and I I tried to get out of it by going, oh sorry, I can't do it, I'm left-handed, you know, you don't have a guitar for me, sorry. And the, the teacher, she looked me right in the face. She goes, you don't know how to play guitar. What does it matter if you play right-handed <laughs> or left-handed? Just pick up a right-handed guitar. And I didn't really have any answer to that, so I kind of had to do it. But but I'm glad that she did that. You know, I, I'm glad I was able to. You know, it's hard to make a left-handed guitar look cool unless you're Hendrix or Kurt Cobain. Um, you know, I don't know. There's something that just is off-putting about left-handed guitars yeah. most of the time. Next up is a song from Serpents of Shiva. The song is titled Keller Street. Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, finally. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Try the life out of me! was uh chosen ones um yeah. and then you you did that band for a little while uh now were you in the band in the beginning or did you you kind of join after they'd already uh, been established a little bit or no i was in for like the first year i think it was it was um i i was with them when they kind of got it going off the ground i play on their first disc and uh and then then after that i think they did like a seven inch and a record but i'm not on those but i'm on their they got a disc. It's got like a picture of a guy laying in bed, looking at a bunch of uh, pinup girls on the wall. If you see that one, it's just called Chosen Ones. Uh, I played the drums on that. Um, 
but uh, yeah, they're a really good band. Um, it's, there's Ruben and Benny. Um, Benny was a, he'll, I'm sure he still is, a great, great musician and songwriter. Um, it was kind of a hard gig because um, Benny was playing guitar and singing, but he's a, a fantastic drummer. Um, so to like come into a band where like you know that the guitar player is like a better drummer than you <laughs> it's kind of a hard gig you know you really got to like be on your toes to make sure you're you know he, he was a really nice and easy going dude to be in a band with but at the same time there was that unspoken thing of like oh this dude is a monster on the drums i really got to bring it so um so it was kind of in that regard a tough gig but um but you know those are good dudes and those were good tunes um and uh yeah that disc was pretty cool i haven't heard it in a long time but you know i remember back in the day really enjoying playing those songs and uh i played a there a, a few of their I, I don't know i probably played six or seven shows when they first started going um and then i, th I think yeah that's about we, we, there was a lot of just you know writing and practicing and stuff and then i think yeah it was maybe like six or seven shows in that uh that i ended up uh tapping on that but um yeah good stuff good dudes and uh i should go back and listen to that sometime i probably won't be as hard on it now as i was <laughs> back then but like i said that benny he's a he's a amazing drummer so of course i was going to nitpick everything if i'm uh if i got him in the room with me but um yeah, that was, I think it was a little less than a year I played with them. Like I said, most of it was just kind of getting stuff together, um, learning the songs and getting a set together and getting all that going. And then kind of once they got going, they ended up getting someone else in there. And uh, man, what was it? That was like 2008. Yeah. And then uh, after that, that's when I saw um, that... Uh, Riverside had put up a post on the, uh, the Buffalo shows message board that, uh, rhinoceros was going out and doing a, a two week tour. Like I think down to Florida and back and they needed a guitar player. Um, so I shot him a message and was like, yeah, I could do that for you. And, uh, it went from, uh, to do filling in for a two-week tour to I ended up playing with them for two years um <laughs> just kept booking more and more stuff so um and then eventually enough band members had changed in rhinoceros where we ended up changing the name of the band to goodbye cruel world and uh we did that for a minute and then it that kind of uh fizzled out i'm not exactly sure what happened we kind of had a minute where we were doing a lot of stuff and playing out and, and doing cool stuff. And then it just kind of, it ended, um, we had done, uh, the kind of the last nail, we had two crazy things happen. One, this label said they were going to put out our record and we were on, we, we went out and did some shows. I forget where they were from, but it was someplace far away. And we went out on tour and we, we hung out with them and everything was cool. And, uh, and, yeah, we're going to put out your record. I did the whole layout. You know, I laid out the whole seven inch. We recorded the thing. We sent it to them. They were like, yeah, it's coming out on this date, blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, yeah, they're the records are coming. We just mailed them out. And then Joe got the box and he opened it up and it was a box of rocks. 
yeah, for real. It was a box of rocks. And we were like, what does that even mean? And then we called the, the dude and we're like, like, why did you send us a box of rocks? And the guy tried to play dumb, like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I sent you a box of records. I don't know why a box of rocks would show up. And I don't even remember what the what the final thing was. I don't know. Maybe if you ever get Joe Riverside on here, you can ask for his take on it. But, um, yeah, I don't know what the hell happened. But, like, we met these guys. They were all cool. They were going to put out our record. And then they, they literally... And then they just stuck by that story. Like, I sent you records. I don't know why there's rocks in there, but they were records when they left here. And so that was super bizarre. And then um, we had done, like, this three-week tour where we had gone out to, like, out through Utah and Las Vegas and then down to, to Southern California and back. And like I said before, I did almost all the driving in most of the bands I was in. And that one, I did all the driving because I don't think anyone else in that band had their license except for Aaron. I had gotten Aaron by the end of it. I had weaseled him into that band too, as I try and do in any band I'm in. And uh, so I had, I had driven for the whole three weeks, but I had to leave the, the, the tour two days early at the end. I had it was a three week tour and I had secured people to watch my daughters during the day and everything for like this whole period, but I couldn't do the last two days. I just had no one to do it. So uh, they were going to drop me off at the airport in Denver and then they were going to do two shows on the way home with one guitar and I was going to fly home so that I could watch my girls on those last two days. So they dropped me off in Denver. I give the keys to Aaron. He's going to drive. He never drives the van ever. He'd be the last person to drive, but he's the only one who can now because I'm not there. So I give him the keys. I go into my hotel room because I'm going to spend the night in this hotel and get up early in the morning. Um, I get up the next day and I'm waiting to take the shuttle to the airport. And I, I call him to be like, see how he's doing, you know, on his first ride. And he's like, oh, not good, man. Uh, he's like about a little less than an hour after we left you, we were cruising down the highway. <laughs> he goes, I came over a ridge and there was a cow standing in the middle of the street, um, long ways. So like facing, like he was in traffic, he goes, and I just, he goes, I, I hit the cow in the ass doing about 80 miles an hour. <laughs> he goes, and then we just rolled. And I was like, oh, you rolled the van? I thought he meant like, like tumbled, rolled like the, and he goes, no, no, no. He goes, I mean, like, we just like roll down the street, like with no power. I was like, oh my God. And he, so they had annihilated the van. They annihilated the cow. Um, they had to get a U-Haul and then just load all the people, except for whoever was driving and one person on shotgun. They all just sat in the windowless u-haul and drove back from an hour outside of denver um with you know what wasn't damaged of the gear after just absolutely totaling the van now i had been out of that van for less than an hour <laughs> i drove that van for three weeks with no problem they were with they were away from me for less than an hour and they destroyed <laughs> the van 
absolutely destroyed it. And they said they hit the cow so hard they never even saw where it went. Oh, God. Yeah, it was crazy. They sent me pictures of it the next day. I was, I was, I was shocked. It was crazy. Um, but that was, that was, that was kind of like the final thing. Um, we didn't really do anything after that. I don't know if it was like the wind got knocked out of our sails by not having a van anymore or what the deal was, but, um, yeah, that was, it was, I mean, it was a pretty decent tour. We had a good time and played some great shows, but it was kind of a, a rough ending. Yeah. I, um, I had the guys, there was a band from Rochester called Standfast, and I had a couple of them on the podcast a while back, and, and we had a failed tour that, that me and Ryan Hex booked for them with Building on Fire in 2001, and we had to, their van died like the first day of the tour, so we had to ride back from Elyria, Ohio in a U-Haul. Um, uh, John 25 and like one other dude and myself were sitting in front, and the rest of the dudes were sitting in the back of the U-Haul. So long story short, it'd be interesting to kind of i don't know how we could put the feelers out there but to get like an episode of this podcast of dudes who have ridden in the back of u-hauls on tours or whatever because i'm sure there's a bunch you know well you know you know like uh you know how like you know you pull up the, the weather screen on your phone you know and it'll tell you what the i just kept getting random screenshots from dudes in the band on the drive back because it was like the end of november I think it was like right before Thanksgiving. So they're driving in like Iowa and they're sending me things that say like four degrees. <laughs> oh, or something God. Like that. And I'm just like, meanwhile, I'm at home because I flew home two days earlier. You know, I'm already like, you know, sitting on the couch watching my daughter <laughs> just, you know, chilling out. And they're just sending me these miserable screenshots of how cold it was. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's been plenty of people who've, 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 done their time in the back of a u-haul you know yeah and not even the ones you know some of them have that nice little trap door where you can at least you know converse with the people up front but not all of them do yeah yeah ours <laughs> didn't have that dark yeah um I, i'm sure we could probably do an entire episode going back and talking about that record label thing too but i'll uh I, that's all I got on it. Have to, <laughs> honestly, I mean, you'd have to. Riverside would probably remember the best, but it was it was one of the most bizarre things I've I've ever uh, been involved with. <clears throat> I, I, it was such a mystery. I don't know what the hell happened there. Um, but yeah, they literally sent us a box of rocks. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's like one of the dudes and the label scammed the other one and then was just kind of riding it out till the end or if they were both or if it was a fuck you to us that seems weird because we like i said we went and and hung out with them on the one tour i i, I honestly i couldn't tell you but um, the seven inch has never popped up like on discogs or ebay or no. random distro obviously right oh no, why would it yeah it's, it didn't, they didn't make the thing there's no way they made <laughs> there's no way there's like some Secret uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> style box of Goodbye Cruel World Records hidden away. It's just, I, I, I mean, I, the only thing I can guess is maybe like the, the one dude gave the other dude money to have him pressed and he just okey doped them and went and blew it on hookers or something. I don't know. Oh, that's possible. Um, yeah. But but yeah, we got we got a box of a box of rocks. It was it was. It was spinal tap issue. Was yeah. So you know, it was like, I, is this real life? But I would like to know what the what the what what the story was there. But I I, I fear we never will. 
Uh, well, we're not going to put those guys on blast, but maybe we'll try to track them down and get them on an episode of the podcast and see their <laughs> version of the story. Um, so just like how you did Bleed for Me for like a decade, you've uh, you've had Pissing Match going for, for pushing a decade now, too. Um, uh, yeah, I guess we have. Yeah, so kind of take me into the, the, the back the backstory of that whole band and everything. Well, Pissing Match is um, the band that I currently sing for. Um, it, it, it started out so, uh, again, um, I saw a post on the Buffalo Show's message board um, back when that was still fairly active. And it was um, uh, Aaron Adkins had put a post up just saying, here's my new band. And it was, um, he put the Pissing Match demo up. And I heard it, and I loved it immediately. As soon as I heard it, I was just—I just loved everything about it. I love the—I love the way his voice sounded. I love the riffs. The songs are all super short. Um, is some of them are as, you know, as short as 15 seconds long. The longest song on the record on the, the demo was like 36 seconds long. Um, almost like almost like old DRI style in that regard, but very tight and deceptively technical if you listen to it it just kind of sounds like fast old hardcore but if you listen close there's a lot of crazy changes and stuff and i loved it so i just put up a post you know like on you know on the thread where he had put it up i just literally just being a goofball because i knew him but also being serious i wrote i am jealous of every member of this band because i just loved it and i didn't know that it wasn't a band it was all him he just did the demo himself um, and he sent, he sent me a text saying, you know, I, I really appreciate you saying that about this stuff. I'm going to give you a call in a minute. And he called me up and he was like, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's all me. And it's funny that you said that you liked it because I was going to ask you if you wanted to sing for it. Um, we, we, um, face the panic had done, um, some shows in Puerto Rico with Adkins old band, Able Danger. And, um, me and him kind of clicked down there. You know, we were kind of just more like, uh, passing acquaintances before that. But when we went down to Puerto Rico, we had a really good time and kind of, kind of clicked. And, uh, um, I think he kind of had, he, well, I know, cause he told me he kind of had me in mind when he was putting pissing match together, which I had no idea. Um, but yeah, after I put that thing up on the message board, he's like, will you be the singer of this band? I was like, hell yeah, I'll be the singer of this band. I love this. But like, I was so into it. I listened to the demo like crazy before he asked me to. It was so weird when he told me that he actually had me in mind because it, it really just hit me. Um, I loved how tight and technical it was, but I loved how punk rock it was too, how non like New York hardcore it was. You know, I played a lot of music over the year that leaned more towards what you would call New York hardcore ish, even if it's, you know, just ish, because I like playing, I like playing tight with other musicians who, who, who are tight and not sloppy. So, I, you know, a lot of people that would like the kind of music that Pissing Match was wouldn't have necessarily played it like that. You know what I mean? So to, so to hear a band that was as tight as the stuff that I like to play, but more in the vein of the stuff that I liked, but didn't really know anyone who played that stuff. For me, it was just like a perfect, like, oh, I'm so into it. And uh, and basically, then we just kind of, we, we put the band together. I, I um, 
I told him about, I knew the, the, our drummer, Rob, I had met him through Joe Valella. We had just jammed out, but not doing anything seriously, but I knew he was, he would have been good for the job. So I, I told him, I said, I know this kid, he's young, he's a killer drummer. I know he can do it. If you don't have anyone, we should try him out. And he was like, yeah, give him a call. So I sent that stuff to Rob and he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll totally do it. And then, um, then I suggested, um, Joe Valella for bass. Um, and Aaron was into that too. So that became a lineup. And then eventually, um, uh, we ended up adding, I, I, I managed to weasel Aaron into yet another one of my <laughs> bands. So Aaron came in on second guitar. Um, of course, right after we got him all locked in and like all tightened up and ready to go. Now, uh, there's no shows ever again, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we did, uh, expand to a five piece, but yeah, we've just been cranking along, put out a seven inch. We have another seven inch, um, written and recorded that we've just been trying to find someone to put out. Um, but we haven't found the, the right label for that yet, but yeah, if anyone wants to check it out, we have a band camp just pissingmatch.bandcamp.com if you like fast um fast super short um hardcore songs with like equal parts political and funny lyrics um in a tongue-in-cheek punk rock style check us out you know it's good stuff if if that sounds not awful to you then you'll probably like it if that doesn't sound good to you then you're not gonna like it but, you know, all I can say is, you know, if you don't like a song, you know, wait five or six seconds, it'll be over. And <laughs> you can check the next one. Up next, you're going to hear from Pissing Match. You're going to hear Cryptic Tongues, Inflated Balloons. Some people think it's Cryptic Tongues are in, I don't give a fuck. I'm talking about you, I'm talking about you, I'm talking about you, what the fuck you're going to do? Um, I started getting together with our drummer um, 
just to stay in contact with him because I was nervous that he would lose interest if we, <laughs> we were only playing once every few months or whatever. And so I demoed these songs with him um, that were different than what Pissing Match was doing. And uh, I was originally going to do the same thing I told you before, which was I was just going to pick someone who I liked who was a singer and randomly mail it to him and be like, hey, will you sing on this thing? But as I started thinking about it, you know, I was looking over at work, over into the other workstation. I saw Eric there, and I was thinking to myself how this kid rides so hard for our other band. He shows up at every show. He does all the grunt work and gets none of the glory because when we're playing, he sits at a merch table and sells T-shirts. And I was like, man, I wonder if Eric could sing. Maybe he could sing, you know? So I, I, I... I asked him, I said, you want to you wanna try and sing on these songs? I have five songs written. And he was all about it. And uh, and that's how Pure Heel started, and which is the band I play guitar for now. And uh, we once he uh, once he laid some vocals down and, and kind of I, I realized that he could do what I wanted, um, we started filling out the other positions, you know? We found he brought in our bass player, Joey, uh, AKA the Mangler, who uh, is an amazing bass player and an amazing dude. I'm so happy that he, he was able to be brought in. And then we had a, a solid lineup there. Um, just one guitar, uh, you know, four piece band. And uh, we started playing and doing some stuff and we were really, really gelling and doing good and then all of a sudden I got a text um, from Jesse Moscato who was like uh, he sent me a text he said let me play guitar in your band and then so um, I sent him a text back that I said of course you can play guitar in my band do you know how to play guitar And he said, yeah, I know how to play guitar. So, okay, you're in. I, he didn't have to try out or anything. I love Jesse. I've known him since he was 14 or something like that. And uh, and so we brought Jesse in. And ever since he got in, that was definitely like the the last piece we needed. And once we, we became a two-guitar band with, with Jesse in there, we, we really started kicking some ass and writing some great songs. And, and uh, if it weren't for this damn plague, we'd be out there ripping it up right now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how that all came together. Like I said, Pure Hill kind of sprung out of, out of pissing match. We're kind of like the, the, uh, the bastard, uh, half brother of pissing match. And those are the two things I'm doing right now is pissing match. And well, actually I'm not really doing anything right now, but (laughs) before, before the apocalypse, I was uh, singing and pissing match and playing guitar in Pure Hill and uh, having a good time doing both. Imperial just put a record out on uh, Irish Voodoo. We did a little uh, lathe cut two-songer, and uh, hopefully by the end of fall, we will have a five-song regular uh, seven-inch out on that label also that I am looking forward to. Songs came out really cool. We recorded them about 8 million years ago, but uh, hopefully they'll see the light of day soon. Yeah, and that's it. That's all the bands. Shout out to Iris Rudu, though, because he's, he's come up a lot on this podcast. It's interesting that we're here, Rochester, Buffalo area, and he's out in California, and he's put out, I don't even know how many releases from bands from this area, but it's quite a few. Yeah, 
he did the KDC seven inch. He did uh, Juggernaut. He's he's Joey Voodoo is a really cool guy. You know, he's he knows his shit, and his label's super cool. They they do it right. A um, lot of diverse sounding stuff, but that still all falls under that umbrella of hardcore. Um, really cool layouts and packaging. Really nice people all around, and he's just like a really cool guy. Um, I got nothing but good stuff to say about him. He's treated us really well. Um, the lathe cut that he did for us was really cool. We really put together a cool package. You know, we kind of worked on it together, but it came with, we did like a zine and a poster and a sticker. So it was like a really cool package. He's, he's, he's into doing it right. You know what I mean? He doesn't cut corners and he's super knowledgeable, old school dude. Um, I can't say enough, uh, enough nice things about him he's super cool and you know and yeah you're right there is a connection to around here you know he's done a few things i think he, he might have did he do the longest board yeah too? Jeffrey yeah Hillary? he did their lp yeah. too yeah yeah so yeah. um you know and uh yeah just just a really good dude and uh and I, i'm glad that he he took an interest in us um i think you know i, I think he liked our we, we went out we played um we did a, a like a week in California last year, and he came out and saw us. And I think um, I know Joe Valella was the one who put us in his ear originally, and um, so he was kind of contemplating doing something with us. And then when we went out to California, I think that kind of sealed the deal because he really he liked our vibe, and also um, um, I think he had a little uh, a, a little bit of a soft spot for our for our wrestling references. Um, uh, you know, a bit, bit of an old school wrestling head, so I think he liked that. Um, so yeah, it's all worked out great. I mean, you know, I can't wait um, when everyone sees the, the 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 seven inch that's coming out. The art on it is super super cool. Um, it's kind of like a collaboration between uh, me and and Doey, and then Mark Miller, the photographer, great dude. I'm sure he's come up in your talks i'm sure he's a uh, awesome photographer and uh and then uh again my buddy aaron uh he did some artwork for us and and it, it all came out to a really really cool looking release so i'm really excited for that to come out and uh very happy that we that we've locked in with uh with joey at irish voodoo the last song you're going to hear is by pure heel and it's called crime spree Put your hands in the fucking air! I wanna do something bad today Don't want trouble, just stay out of the way Take what I want, cause everything is free Yeah, it's a more pain, Christ free! I'm fucking joined in the shopping mall I'm making great kind of fighting walls I have the body, but I can't see That is all for me, Christ Ray! I'm dealing for these from the corner store Whatever stick is cause I want it more Ain't gonna stop till I hit the floor Hit your mailbox with a baseball 
Somebody? Yes, but I wanted to do horror stuff for my friend. At the risk of making this like a six hour long episode, um, <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't bring up wrestling myself, though. Um, I sure. think I think you and I were talking before, and I think we, we come from like slightly different eras, because um, I got more into wrestling like in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, yeah. But I'm guessing like members of your band are all different ages, too, so... Oh, is yeah. that is that is the wrestling thing like something you guys talked about before obviously with the name um or is it just kind of something that's just kind of like a side note that you guys all kind of happen to like wrestling and it's like something you'll throw references in there for i came up with the name pure heel because i have always in a musical sense loved people who play the heel i always loved you know your mother's got AIDS. this one's called the spoiler you know <laughs> I, I you know it's 110 degrees in here what are you making a fashion statement i'm a moron like i love you know the paul bearer or the leaving from fear i just always loved that and i and i thought that that's a good link you know what I mean? Like, like the, the the idea of the heel in the uh, in the punk rock arena instead of in the wrestling ring, and then you mix that with, um, you know, I, I'm a fan of the old school kind of lo-fi gritty uh, aesthetic of like the the uh, pretty much anything before like. The, the big blow up of the WWF and not that there's anything wrong for people who like that but like um, you know you, you can just definitely tell a difference there was definitely like a like a just like a more lo-fi vibe to it before that before that happened and and I always liked that I liked and I see a lot of similarities between punk rock and the and that older era of wrestling I mean, I guess even with the newer era, too, because punk rock blew up the way that uh, WW, you know, you, you got punk rock bands on the radio and stuff after that, so I guess it's the same thing, but, you know, I like the, you know, look at, like, you know, wrestling magazines back in the day. It's, it's a zine. It's a black and white thing with typewritten writing in there and black and white pictures of dudes bleeding and stuff. It's, there's a very, uh, I wouldn't call wrestling punk rock, but there, there are, um, there's just overlaps in the aspects when you when you look at the older stuff, you know, when it was when it was like I said a little grittier and more lo-fi, and I really like that aesthetic. Um, you know, Pure Hill is not like a wrestling tribute kind of band or anything like that, or you know what I mean. We're not. It's just um, it's just about you know I don't know the cartoonishness of being a heel. You know, I, I, I certainly when I when I was singing in the bands that i sang in i i always leaned that way you know just saying stupid shit you know telling people to shut up when they're clapping and stuff like that just because <laughs> it's funny you know i just so so really that's where it comes from now i did 
and when I was a kid, I, I enjoyed wrestling a lot. There's, I, um, I told you before, I kind of tapped. I remembered like the, the really, like if anyone wants to look up, if they're, if they're going to nerd out and see when it is, if you look up whenever the honky tonk man premiered, uh, you know, on wrestling, uh, that was where I was just like, I, I can't, I can't get into this anymore. It, that, that was like, the, the, it seemed so silly to me. And also, um, you know, again, that's like when you'd go to wrestling, uh, and it turned into, you know, almost like a rock concert lights and, and screens and explosions. And, and again, that's, I don't begrudge anyone that wants that, but that's kind of where I kind of just started to not even turn on it, but it just started to lose me a little bit. Not like actively, like I hate this stuff now, but that's just kind of where for me, I was just kind of like, you know, and, and they talk about all the time where, you know, I mean, you know, that it became, you know, not them, you know, I think in wrestling before that, you know, everyone played it straight, even though everyone knew what was going on with it, people still played it straight. Whereas nowadays it's like, everyone's in on it you know what i mean yeah and everyone's and which is fine you know i mean i can't fault people for for not believing that wrestling is real but i just think i kind of liked it better when everyone at least kind of uh played along with it i guess maybe does that make sense yeah um but i mean it's great i mean it's it's and there's definitely like crazy links to punk up like did you know that like bob mold like is like a serious wrestling head and wrote <laughs> um wrote wrestling scripts like for years like and bob mold i mean who's to do that's yeah. ground zero for like first wave and mm. and uh yeah he was like like seriously involved in like writing like the storylines <laughs> for like major wrestling stuff for like a long time um so there's gotta be other people who see those parallels you know what yeah. i mean um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, if, if anyone who's listening hasn't go, go try and find like at a flea market, like an old, like a, like a wrestling wrestling magazine from like 1983 and, and tell me it doesn't have a similar vibe to like, to a punk zine, you know, just the articles and the photos and stuff and gnarly, you know, bleeding dudes, you know what I mean? Like half the pictures look like they could be a Gigi Allen show, you know? And, and there's just, there's, there's something I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there is some sort of common thread there that, that, that I wanted to have in there. But again, I don't want anyone to think like, you know, if you're like a real like wrestling head, like a band that just like sings about wrestling and that's not us, you know? we have some some references in there and it's definitely something that we um have a healthy respect for and between several of the guys in our band we can talk about you know the last 40 years of wrestling between all of us we have the knowledge you know what i mean but um but it's it's uh you know it, it's it's just because of the similarities that i think that that i went with that not like that we we're trying to to uh, do a you know to to necessarily do a commentary on wrestling you know <laughs> but there are there are those similarities you know um, I, I love again I love things that are um, low fi but not low talent you know what I mean 
and and I feel like when I watched wrestling when I was a kid, like that WOR New York wrestling, and you know, it wasn't an arena. It was there's probably like 50 people around the ring watching it, and and there's just something so low budget about it, but yet quality in what they were doing that is like that's the punk rock aesthetic, right? You know, no frills, but all fury, like so. You know, that's that's where I see the similarities. You know what I mean? Um, but I wouldn't I would not want to disappoint anyone if someone ever came up to me at a show and really wanted to like talk wrestling with me. Um, if it's anything beyond like 1986, I'm gonna be spotty at best, you know. Um, but but I do I really do have a soft spot for a lot of that stuff. I mean, I, we were talking about before, like to this day, if I, you know, if I if I if I want to go down a wrestling rabbit hole i'll just get on youtube and just look up um piper cutting promos <laughs> um he, he's he's my absolute favorite um i loved him when i was a kid but as an adult and i watched I, when i watch those things now i realize even more how much of a genius that guy was it's just running his mouth off and being so quick with his mind on the mic um yeah, I, you know, so I, so I, you know, again, I don't want anyone to think that I don't love it too, because I do, like I said, but there's just, you know, everyone's got their era that they love. Mine just happens to be a little further back than, than a lot of other people's, you know, but, um, you know, I, I, anyone that likes it, I get it, you know, even though I'm not currently into it. You know, the other thing I told you before is a, a part of it too is I, I like ugly wrestlers. <laughs> these wrestlers these days are way too good looking they all look like they could be in a movie you know um i like the wrestlers that, that you know that they look like they'd be like a, a bouncer in a shitty bar down <laughs> south that you wouldn't want to go to you know um you know when you look at like uh you know blackjack mulligan or uh you know uh bobby duncan or uh you know, any, I mean, even like, look at someone like Fred Blassie, like, tell me you couldn't see that guy standing at the door of like some shitty bar, like checking IDs or something, you know, I just, uh, I like those, I like the, I always was, 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 was drawn to that, those guys, you know, or, or they, they could be driving a truck or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I love like Dusty Rhodes, like you could see Dusty Rhodes, like in the ring, or you could see him getting out of a semi at a truck stop. A couple current event type questions. Um, one thing we've kind of uh, talked about a little bit on this episode is just everything going on currently with like COVID and the pandemic and whatnot. Um, I think like a lot of people, we both in the beginning kind of, I mean, I'm not going to speak for you. You can, you can tell me your thoughts in a second, but I know I at least in the beginning, well, first of all, in the very beginning, like before I came here, I wasn't even really taking it seriously at all. And then once it kind of, everything started slowly shutting down here, all the pro sports shut down. You kind of realize it was more of a serious thing and, and now you know cut to over six months later there's still not really any shows except for like you know dinosaur jr whoever played like a couple like socially distanced type shows but like we're not like i who knows how long it's going to be before we see like a real hardcore punk show again so like how has it been for you i mean i guess working in tattoos too but but like especially like not being able to play shows like how has this really affected you well not playing shows definitely sucks um, we, we, we just started, um, Pure Hill just started practicing again. Um, I went in and hung up a bunch of plastic in our room. So we have our own little individual pods 
within our room so that we can we can jam out without feeling sketchy about it um it was nice to start we've been doing that for like a month now it's nice to make noise with my friends it's a bummer that we don't see you know playing shows anytime soon being a possibility but it's still good to you know i still love making music so it's cool to get in a room with them and, and do it and you know other than that i figure we're just kind of trying to keep our blades sharp for when we're allowed to get back into it you know but um you know who the hell knows who knows what's going on this shit's so crazy you know you got people i just saw on the news the other day those those kids stormed that target in florida screaming take your mask off did you see that yeah. uh, they went it was like a like a, a flash mob of people uh ripped all their masks oh off. i saw a headline for you sorry yeah and so like i mean <laughs> when i see when i see articles like that i think well, I, I may never play a show again i who, who knows you know i mean I, I, i'm hoping for the best you know, not and not even just for me. Like you know, I feel, I feel for the people who who that's their their income. You know, my brother, that's his job. You know, I I, I play a lot of shows, but you know, but I make my money tattooing. You know, for the most part, and I'm that's hasn't really been affected by this. I can still do that. You know, it sucks that I can't play shows, but I I I really want it more so. You know, for the people that that need it. You know what I mean. Um, and then that'll benefit me too, because then I'll also be able to play them. But but for real, I, you know, my, my my heart goes out to anyone that's 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 held up by this. Even people that work in those kind of clubs and stuff that can't have been, you know, it's all around. It just sucks. But like I said, when when you see people, you know, storming department stores, screaming, "Take off your mask!" Um, it, it doesn't look good for for the immediate future you know what i mean uh who the hell knows you know it's a shame i wish we you know i wish we weren't so dumb as a country well that's actually a really good segue to the uh to the rest of the uh current events pretty much so being so dumb as a country like we're already laughed at we we also have uh i can't really imagine you could come up with a worse president in american history than the one we have right now um He's pretty rotten. Yeah, so his stupidity has kind of, uh, I would say, unintentionally uh, spearheaded some movements. Like, I feel like Me Too kind of came out of people being, like, just so upset with all the foolish things he had said and done before that started. Um, and then Black Lives Matter, you, you know, that had already started before he came into office and everything, but I feel like a lot of stuff that he says and does and a lot of people that he puts in power are people that we're kind of rebelling against um oh yeah you know now the black lives matter thing for me as you and i were kind of talking about in the beginning and 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 before we started the interview i think for both of us that and the police brutality thing kind of hits home um but now for me it obviously hits home even more because it's affecting rochester i mean you had a oh, video awful. yeah i mean the daniel prude thing i mean People nationwide know about that, and I don't really need to, to describe it, but if you haven't seen the video or, or know about the articles, look into it. It's, it's fucked up. Um, you know, I've been, I've been... It's been going on for like two and a half weeks now, all the protests and everything. I've gone probably more than half the nights because, not to pat myself on the back, but it's important, you know what I mean? Like, to be out there and just to see the different things that have happened. I mean, the first weekend of protests, we had 
I wasn't even anywhere near like the front lines. I was probably like a thousand feet away, but I still had tear gas thrown at me. You know what I mean? Like my buddy was up front the night before and he sent me pictures of like these fucking like, like just all the crazy different things the cops were throwing at people and stuff. And it's all we're doing is all we're doing is peacefully protesting, trying to get everybody to have equal rights, which is crazy in 2020 that we still have to worry about people having equal rights, you know? I, yeah, it's it's absolutely terrible. The worst thing about that situation is that 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 wasn't a criminal. There's no way to justify that. You know that the, the that guy's family called the police to help him. Uh, from what if I I, I believe mm-hmm. I have that right. Yep. You know, uh, I can't even imagine what they feel like right now, knowing that that they, they you know they made the phone call that ultimately ended up in his death. But um, yeah, I uh, I. I can't stand cops. Um, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. It makes me very sad. But um, this is this is not new information. This is something that uh, that has been um, a, a, a problem that has that has plagued my heart for a long time. Uh, I've spent a lot of years listening to people tell me that I was uh, overreacting and exaggerating these things, and you know, there's so many good cops and blah 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 and i I i've never bought into that and um as much as i don't like to say i told you so it um it does feel a little good to have the validation of everyone else finally waking up and understanding that there's a major major problem in this country and um i don't care if your uncle uh when he was a cop bought a homeless guy soup he's still part of a fucked up system that um you know, systematically targets people and ruins lives. And um, I, I'm not a smart enough man to tell you what the solution is, but I'm smart enough to know that um, th- this is not working and that um, these people do not have our best interests uh, as citizens. Um, and, you know, and I wish that more people would step forward and either explain or reterm uh, defund the police because uh, it sounds like it sounds like more drastic than it is, and it sounds less helpful than it is. And if we defunded the police, uh, you know, a lot of good could come of that. And defunding the police does not mean abolishing the police. Defund and abolish are not the same thing. And um, you know cops need more training they need schooling they need more background checks they need more accountability um the um 99.99999% of the time i'm as pro-union as you can be but the police union is absolutely fucked and they're one of the biggest parts of the problem um the lengths that they go to, to to cover up shit and to to jimmy their stats and to keep their stats away from the public is uh, atrocious. Um, just all around. Uh, again, I, I don't know what the solution is. I'm just a dumb punk rock tattooer, but I I, I know that something's got to be done. And uh, again, you know to everyone that's finally starting to hate cops as much as I do. Uh, welcome to the party. Good to have you. Um, you know, let's figure something out. Um, but, you know, ACAB for sure. We had talked about uh, Rob Antonucci releasing the uh, Face the Panic record earlier. 
And yes, uh, he likes to help me out with uh, just a lot of random stuff for the podcast. And he came up with a new idea um, to kind of do like a Mount Rushmore of uh, Buffalo for like Buffalo Hardcore. Um, and he had mentioned like aside from you who you would put on there. But you don't really seem like the type of person to kind of just throw yourself I, up there. So I would never, I would never, <laughs> never lump myself in there. Um, so who would you put on yeah, there for, Mount for like Rushmore? Well, I would have to say, um, I would definitely put my brother on there. Um, you know, my brother, uh, he's been in some amazing, um, hardcore bands that have really left their mark and put out some great records. He's, you know, even when not living in Buffalo, he's always, uh, repped Buffalo and, and, um, you know, he'll always be from Buffalo and have it in his heart. And I would definitely have to put him on there. Um, I would def I would put Doug White on there. Doug White, um, you know, Doug, Doug started out playing in hardcore bands in Buffalo. Uh, but, you know, more importantly, Doug has recorded so many bands and still does, you know, to this day, you know, it, 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 it's maybe less um, hardcore demos than back in the day because of the way recording has gone. So many kids can kind of do like little demos themselves and that, you know, but, um, but I mean, everything from, I mean, Doug's recorded, you know, Slugfest, Snapcase, Buried Alive, Despair, um, uh, Geez, I'm drawing a blank. I think he might have done like the, you know, the first Every Time I Die demo. Uh, you know, just so many, so many bands have recorded there. Hardcore bands from Buffalo, metal bands from Buffalo, bands from Rochester, bands from Syracuse, bands from Erie. Um, I think he's been a very important, um, almost more like uh, behind the scenes kind of part of the of the buffalo hardcore scene but i mean he's been recording bands since since the river rock days you know he started doing um demos for his own band and then demos for other bands and then that turned into you know getting more equipment and more equipment and he's done he's done so many just great classic recordings um and helped out so many bands i mean he's definitely a dude that i'm sure many people came into his studio to record and learned more about their guitar from him, more about their amps, more how to get heavier tones. You know what I mean? So I think, I think Doug White would definitely be someone that I would put, uh, you know, certainly on the, on the Buffalo Rushmore or slash, uh, Buffalo's Cooperstown Hall of Fame, uh, <laughs> would definitely, Doug would go in there. Another Another entry I would probably put on, believe it or not, would be the Goo Goo Dolls. Um, a, a lot of people know, but a lot more people probably don't know that the Goo Goo Dolls straight up come from the Buffalo hardcore punk scene. Um, if you go back and look, you know, if you kind of do like a deep dive for old flyers in Buffalo, you'll see the Goo Goo Dolls playing with Dag Nasty. You'll see the Goo Goo Dolls playing with the Dead Milkmen. You'll see them playing with Seven Seconds. 
um, the Goo Goo Dolls played. They did a, uh, they toured with DRI when DRI did the Four of a Kind tour. Um, the, the first Goo Goo Dolls record is on Metal Blade. Um, they they were a, and 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 Robbie uh, Goo, the bass player, you know, he's not really involved in say like the Buffalo hardcore scene anymore, but he still um, really supports all things Buffalo. And, you know, he has um, his own studio in Buffalo that, that records, you know, various bands. And, and he's he's kind of always kept his his foot in Buffalo. So, uh, you know, I would have to put them up there. They, they were they were a band that came out of the out of the hardcore scene that that became an arena band. I mean, that's pretty cool if you ask me, you know what I mean? Um, so I would definitely put them on there. And then uh, I would probably, for my, there's four for Rushmore, so my fourth pick, I would go with uh, Zero Tolerance. Um, Zero Tolerance was so huge in the eyes of a select group of people who then went on to um, be in a lot of bands, you know, a lot of people who played in bands from Buffalo, if you name you know, pretty much any heavier hardcore band from Buffalo from the last 30 years, they're going to put ZT as, as, a, as an influence, you know. I mean, they certainly influenced the hell out of Splugfest. They influenced the hell out of Face the Panic. Face the Panic is a zero-tolerance song that we're named after. Um, you know, they influenced Buried Alive, even, I'm sure, you know, Dead Hearts, where I'm sure, uh, you know, influenced by Z, there's a lot of bands. ZT's effect on Buffalo hardcore um, is absolutely um, undeniable and huge. And man, today uh, doesn't know this. You uh, you can listen to ZT on Spotify. The seven inch that. Uh, that Patrick uh, from Reaper put out a few years ago is on Spotify and I put it on today and it absolutely holds up. It's, it's an amazing set of songs and it's definitely um, from before the days of like major editing. I'm pretty sure that those songs are um, live in the studio with just um, solo overdubs and vocal overdubs. So when you listen to it, it's like, it's a band being tight and good for real and not just studio wizardry and so yeah zero tolerance uh hugely 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 influential band from buffalo that should have been bigger than they were and um and in buffalo they were huge you know they they were they were a big big deal so that that would round it out for me i think they would definitely deserve a place on there and i got a couple i, I give a couple honorable mentions um mount rushmore part two pretty much or you know the, the 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 just the the honorable mentions you know <laughs> I mean uh, Chris Ring yeah obviously dude set up so many shows and that's an important thing you know that's you know that's uh, there's lots of jobs in the hardcore scene and and that's probably the hardest and um, most stressful one you know and that dude. Like consistently did a lot of different stuff so you know I got to give him credit and before him 
um, back in the days of, of all the rev bands coming through and everything, Brian Foister, he was a big promoter who was, um, tight with the zero tolerance guys, but he, he brought like every big cool show to town. When I first started going to shows, um, like I said, he's the reason like that judge and sick of it all and killing time and Slapshot and all those bands came through regularly and, and to, packed rooms were because of, of him so I put Brian Foister up there <clears throat> I definitely have to give a shout out to Every Time I Die I mean huge band repping Buffalo all the time um, Snapcase it's another one you know been all over the world flying the, the flag of Buffalo um, you know there's lots of people that the, the Allman Brothers both uh, did a lot of cool you know, there's a lot of people that, that, that contributed, so it's hard to narrow it down, but those are all people I would say that, um, that did, that did some stuff that, that helped push this city along. Um, but, uh, and I'm sure there's others that I'm not thinking of and, and some that haven't started bands yet. And, you know, 20 years from now, they'll be the ones that's the cool thing about Buffalo is, um, such a long, cool history all different types of bands have done cool stuff out of here and uh and it's uh but it's it's all connected you know what i mean it's all if you go back far enough you can find threads to all of it connecting each other so um yeah buffalo's got a really cool scene and always has so i'm I'm thankful for that so kind of wrapping things up then and taking some of the words from your last statement there, like a long, cool history, lots of cool bands, uh, all the same thread. You've played in a lot of different bands over the years. Um, is there any style of music you haven't gotten a chance to play, like from our subculture that you would like to have played or like any band, any, any bands that like kind of offered you a shot that you were like, oh, I don't have time to do it right now that you wish you would have played with? Well, that's a good question. I'll tell you this: that when um, I had one band practice with, it was a cool lineup. I, I was playing bass. We had Carl Dutton, who was the guitar player. Um, if you remember when you were talking to my brother about that band Cinderblock, he was in. He was a guitar player on that band. He's a fantastic guitar player. And um, Mike Kamade, who was, um, he's the he was in. Uh, Snapcase early on. He's like on their first seven inch. Um, great drummer. Um, and then we had another guy who really hadn't been in any other bands. And he was the singer. We had either one or two practices. And it was such a cool band. It was kind of like, uh, I mean, I guess you can't even really call it a band if we only played like twice. But the stuff we were, we were starting to do, it was really cool. And I could have seen it doing something really cool. But, um, you know, everyone's schedules weren't lining up and this and that, and it just kind of fizzled out. But I think that band could have done some pretty cool stuff. Um, uh, and also I, I felt at, at the time I was, I was excited because both those dudes were so much better at their instruments than I was at mine. And I always know that when I'm in a band and I'm the, the worst one that it's going to make me work way harder and, uh, and try and, hold my own with them and, and I, I, I thought that's what was going to happen and then it just kind of fizzled out so I would say I don't know if it's a kind of specific kind of music but I really would have liked to have um, 
to have played with those dudes that that that, that kind of popped in my head um one of those cool things that kind of could have been something cool if we would have been able to pull it together but you know whatever it all worked out you know i did other cool stuff instead so no regrets is there anything we didn't touch on or anything else you want to promote or plug or anything else like that no man i think i think we covered everything it was a good talk um you know just it, you know if 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 uh, anyone heard anything on here that sounds interesting um feel free it's pretty much all available someplace i think everything we talked about you can pretty much find either you know on youtube or spotify or whatever um and uh you know if anyone if you do check it out i hope you like it that's why i make music is because i hope people like it <laughs> so um yeah that's about it and i, I really appreciate you having me on it's super cool um i definitely dig this podcast um and uh it, yeah it was really fun to do I, I i appreciate you having me on that wraps up my interview with jay galvin thanks to jay for taking the time to do this interview as always, thanks to Rob Antonucci for all the help with the podcast, and thanks to Greg Benoit for helping spread the word. Also, extra special thanks to my family for the never-ending support. The next few episodes will feature interviews with Ryan Hex, Nate Derby, Ben Keefe, and Brian Rao. As always, give us a follow on Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. See everyone real soon, and stay safe.